On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are divesting ourselves of all adults and letting the kids run amok in Netflix's The Society, going deep, deep, deep undercover with Joe Dempsey in Series 2 of Deep State and weathering the fallout from Sky Atlantic's Chernobyl. All that and yet another in-depth throne-splaining session as we dust ourselves off from the long night and look ahead to the final showdown in Game of Thrones Episode 4. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, the show in which we fill the empty husks of our lives with gallon upon gallon of television entertainment, regurgitating the good stuff so that you can go out and enjoy yourselves instead. Joining me for this week's banquet are two other TV gastronomes, a duo who are similarly willing to hoover up everything the small screen has to offer as long as it's not Bosch. First up is a woman who's still smarting over the fact that we didn't include the new Louis Theroux documentary in this week's lineup. Little does she know that Louis's latest work is actually an in-depth look at the making of The Mandalorian, titled Bounty Hunter, The Taste of Paradise. It's Terry White. What have you just been going on about for the last <laughs> minute and a half? See, that was a throwback to <laughs> 80s Bounties TV advertising. Do you remember Bounty, The Taste of Paradise? The um, uh, yeah. uh, paper towels. What? No, the no, coconut-based chocolate bar. chocolate bar. Uh, but what was all the other bollocks about <laughs> gastro fucking blah, 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 blah? I'm, I'm wasted on you people. You really you know are. <laughs> you really, really, really are. I really am. Joining Terry and myself is a man whose storied career as a TV critic was tragically cut short when he moved to the Californian resort town of Santa Carla and was unexpectedly assaulted by vampires. The full account of this incident is captured beautifully on film by Joel Schumacher in his hit motion picture, The Lost Boyd. Oh, well, How are you, oh, Boyd? That's good. Yeah, that's very good. We've not like had that. a Boyd pun in a while. Yeah, yeah, I that's thought good. we Just needed one. one every week. Um, I watched the Louis Theroux thing as well, so it's right in my mind we are reviewing it. Well, I didn't because, <laughs> oh, okay. because oh, fine. you two told me we couldn't review <laughs> View it. That would have been four I'm, things this it's week. It's going to get a mention from me. You, something to look forward to. Great. Well, uh, I'm going to watch it when it's on the telly like mm, a normal person. Yeah, fair enough. Like, um, a, like, a, like a civilian. Like a civilian. Wow. Um, but it didn't, you know, it didn't meet the standard of the James-approved stuff we're allowed to review this no. week. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There weren't enough Mandalorians in it. No. Actually, here's my preview of that programme. It's the most distressing thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's no, one of the reasons yes. I didn't want to watch it. Really? Yes. It's... Unbelievable, yeah. Honestly. It, I mean, oh my god. Yeah. So I'm, all right, well you can warning. give us a qu- very quick warning. whiz through yeah, when we I'll go through the reviews. Give us a quick I'll give whiz, you a quick whiz, whiz through. through. Yeah. A whistle stop tour of that yeah. depressing show. Yeah. Uh, but let's crack on. What have you chaps been watching over the last seven days? So um I watched three or was it four first dates the other night <laughs> um so first dates as i'm sure everybody aware is the channel james four. won't be aware yeah james is talking about? never heard of it i mean I can, I can guess what it is from the title but i don't know what so it have is, you heard no. of the first dates restaurant have you heard of fred have you oh my god no who's fred? god does he exist in the actual he has world no idea so there is a restaurant in which um they host First dates, and they basically have a fly on the wall set up, and they film it, and you watch the dates unfold. It normally follows um, three to four couples, and at the end, you find out if they've decided to keep seeing each other or not. Very 
very, very simple format, but I love it. And it, because everybody on there is essentially as terrible as each other, as normal as each other. Everybody's, you know, got some awful, sad story that they start crying about at some point. Um, but you essentially watch a first date unfold in real time as it would do in, in your own life. And you realise that we're all the same and we're all looking for the same things. And we're all essentially fucked up and alone and probably going to die that way. But before that, um, uh, what is amazing is, is, you know, the people who don't get on, the people who do get on, the people who like are never, ever going to, it's never going to happen a million years. My favourite woman the other day was an Irish woman who was obsessed with owls. And she worked, <laughs> owls. In, and she worked in an owl um, sanctuary, sanctuary and she had an owl handbag and she was Irish and she kept going, oh, I love owls. I love owls. I really love owls. And then she, a date came and she was like, you look like an owl. You look like a pigeon. You look like Close an owl. On what the hell is going on? Who the hell is that? No. Uh, on behalf of the Pilot TV podcast, I'd like to apologise to the people of Ireland for that uh, particular owl hate in, crime. Amazing two-syllable version of yeah. owl. And, owl. And in Irish accent. She's honestly, like, somebody watch it on more for because she just literally is like, oh, I love owls, and I've seen my little owl, and I love a little owl, and you look like an owl. And it's Isn't just that the an episode thing. of Alan Partridge as well, sitting in an owl sanctuary? <laughs> Probably. Probably. Yeah. Um, so I watched four in in um in the row in the row in the I row watched four in the row and i also watched the uh, line of duty finale which the we, line of duty yes. which we are not going to talk about um we're going to do a, a spoiler special we will have done a spoiler special we, we will have by the time this uh, goes out and so i watched it last night and i have feelings that i am not going to share Okay. I've watched The Line of Duty for only three times now. What's wrong what? with you? Yes, because I had to do a review um, for my other publication, Heat Magazine, and um, yeah, and I had to catch up with it, and then I, yeah, and then w- I'm watching it live and everything, yeah, three times. Wow. Anyway, we'll get to that on the official um, spoiler special podcast. Um, I've I've done it. I did a I started a rewatch. James style, like, but like, just like yes, all you nerds that what? work for like Empire and stuff. But so I'm combining a rewatch with TV news and possibly a make James laugh as well. I'm combining all of them into the fact that I'm rewatching The Trip with Steve Coogan mm-hmm. and Rob Bright. Uh-huh. And I've always loved it, it right from the first this one. This is just they, two comedians going on holiday. Two comedians it? going on holiday. Uh, right. So the first one. I was, don't get it. Neither do I. Well, okay. Well, this is. I'm going to demand that you all rewatch. Of all it. the things to rewatch, Boyd. I'm very disappointed. It's the two of them playing themselves, and they and they entertain each other, and they have a la carte beautiful food, and they kind of go around various beautiful landscapes. The first series set in Britain. The second, then in Spain. Uh, Italy, and then the news element is that Rob Brydon posted a picture this week on Twitter of him and Steve having a meeting about the next series, which is a trip to Greece, which they're going to start filming soon. That's the news element. And then the Make James Laugh in is you should try and watch an episode and see if you like it. Oh my God, he'll hate it. No, I think he might like it, because no they way. do imp- really nerdy impressions. That's the thing. Uh-huh. They try to outdo each other with their impressions of people like Michael Caine from the Batman films. Yeah, but you, you're, think, you're presuming that James <laughs> likes people like him, but he doesn't. They irritate him. Of course, I am presuming that, but I still think there might be. I, it, it, honestly, it's my. You, you know your thing, your um, NC. What is, what's your thing? Your Law and um, Order SVU, right? This is my Lord. This is gives me the most pleasure of anything on TV. Everything about it, the the photography, the landscapes, the impressions, the kind of slightly self indulgent quality to it. And I love Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan anyway. And it's just, it's so pleasurable to watch. And 
each series is brilliant. So there's three series already. It's all on Sky box sets, I think, and now TV box sets. Honestly, it gave me so much joy just to watch it. And they're just fucking brilliant doing impressions of each other. There's one bit in the most recent one, The Trip to Spain, where Steve Coogan does a little shtick about, you know, Michael Bublé. He does an impression of Michael Parkinson introducing Michael Bublé, and then Rob Brydon joins in with his impression of all the different James Bonds. It's absolutely incredible. I love it. It feels a lot like you're recommending I watch reality television. No, it's not reality television. Have you seen... It's, it's not like of. that. It's not, no, it's not, because it's, it? it's improvised joy. It's not it, reality TV. It sounds it's a not, lot like no, reality no, no, TV. They create... Improvised it, it joy. Has, it, it has themes as well. It's not like, you know, it, each one is a proper... It, they probably think about it, they plan it. It's not uh-huh. just thrown together. All right, well, well, we can add it to the list of things I, I have think to get I think you might through. like it. I'm going to boldly predict right. you might like it. Well, we'll see. I think you might be wildly optimistic there, but, no. you know, we'll see what happens. Um... I have been pressing on with Bosch this week, which has been very, very exciting. I've got, I think, two episodes to go. I'm loving every minute of it. Also, it's been a weird convergence. You know, I mentioned last week that it converged with my uh, rewatch of Sons of Anarchy because Titus Welliver is in both at the moment as Jimmy O in Sons of Anarchy and, of course, as Bosch himself in Bosch. But Ryan Hurst, who plays Opie in Sons of Anarchy, is in this as a private... Investigator, it's all coming full circle. So my two things I'm watching are, are, are bleeding into each other like a giant Venn diagram. It's like all a coming giant together. Uterus Venn diagram. Oh, it's amazing. So, so I'm I'm very much enjoying watching both of those at the same time. Lo- love a bit, Bosch. And, and Sons of Anarchy, I've got to the bit where, so it's season three, it's the bit where the sons up sticks and go to Belfast in search of Abel, which is Jax's son, and they change the theme tune so it's all like a bit Irish jiggy. I mean, oh, it's like almost as upsetting to Irish people as Terry that is. sounds terrible. I yeah. mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah. it's quite, I mean... I love Ewells! Yes. I love the There is a whole section in it on Ewells. It was, it was ill-conceived, but nevertheless, I'm enjoying it. Wow, that does it. sound special. And that is what I'm watching. Um, shall we... Get on to Funny or Die, which I nearly forgot again this week, but deliberately got Never up early forget. to watch the first episode of Pulling. Okay. Because you insisted I do it, and I've been putting it off, and I did it, and I watched it. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Sharon Horgan. I love Catastrophe. High hopes for this one. Oh, dear. But. Oh, God. Go on. But. Is it too many women? <laughs> yes, oh, the women. It was full of women. Nobody warned me it was full of women. No, this. Okay, so Sharon Horgan in this plays Donna, uh, and Donna is. Uh, it, this thing, thing with this is, it felt like deja vu watching this. I felt very much like, have I seen this before? But I was like, no, it's because in some ways this is Sally Forever, but like Proto, like the setup is very similar. It's a woman who is engaged to a. Just a, a horrifically unattractive man who sort of wakes up one day and is like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so, but she on her hen night goes out on a night out with her, let's be honest, horrific friends <laughs> and uh, and has this revelation that she doesn't want to get married. So she goes and she tells her fiancé she doesn't want to get married. He has a breakdown and throws up on her. And then she goes out for a really awkward lunch with his mother. Um, and on the one hand, it comes. You come back to my that problem that I have with so many shows, and that this is awful people being awful. And I find, I find, I, I find it hard to find an access point for shows which is just awful people being awful. But do you think she's awful? She's not awful, but she is the only character in it so far in the first episode who is not detestable. Her fiance is awful. Her friends are the worst human beings alive. Isn't one character enough though? Yeah, how well, many I mean, characters do you need to be relatable or well, ever? I, I just, you know, I, but I didn't, I didn't. 
I, like, well, also, I didn't find it funny. So yeah. that didn't help me. Yeah. That's but the I think, rem- you've got to remember, right? This is 2009. This is 10 years ago. Yeah. So something she that we so think, young in it as well. Well, something we think is fairly standard these days. You see female characters like mm. that. I mean, not, I wouldn't say a lot, but in the age of Fleabag yeah, and yeah. Catastrophe and Sally Forever um, and um, Back, back for to Good. Li- and back, back to, to life. life. Back for Good. Back for good. Somebody <laughs> take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Williams' finest moment. <laughs> Leaving that in. I think we. <laughs> I think what well, you can't divorce it, and it's difficult because you're seeing it for the first time now in yes. 2019. Yes. Think about what that was like in 2009 when there was, no, I mean, barely any female characters. Mm. That's a good point. It's a very good point. shows at all yeah. for girls. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. No, that hadn't occurred to me because I was looking at it with my 2019 hat mm. on and just, and my, my humorless hat on as well. Well, women like her, women, and I interviewed Sharon um, back on International Women's Day and she was saying, you know, that just doing a, a female character who isn't completely likeable mm. or relatable or nice and actually, you know, has got edges and does things wrong and gets shit-faced and is morally complex and all of those things. Back then, mm. was really radical. Mm. It's still, you know, not the easiest thing now, but back then it was completely radical. But weirdly, I enjoy her as Sharon in Contrastrophy when her edges are sharper yeah. and she is thornier because she has that very sardonic, like really sort of acerbic sense of humour. And I find that very funny, where she's much softer and weirdly more likeable in this. And I thought less funny as a result. So I, I found yeah, but other characters are funny though, aren't they? The other, the other two, and you know, they, no. they take don't they take up the slack from from what I... a little. I mean, again, I just don't think it's quite as sharply written. I don't think it's as. I mean, as you funny. see the progression in her, right? Yeah, as absolutely, a absolutely. So that was, you know, she's speaks about how that was very indicative of where she was at her, and she based that on the lives of her and her mates yeah, essentially yeah. Um, that nobody else was really talking about but women all knew that that's how we were really behaving yeah. um, and I think she's you know as everybody does has grown as a writer mm, and it's, it's her co-writing with Dennis Kelly as yes, well in this case. of yes. Utopia fame yeah. of Utopia fame yes uh, so I think I, it's one of these things good and I'm sure normal humans will find it very very funny yeah. unfortunately did it make James laugh no well, you know, sometimes we're, all ma- uh, yeah, we're always disappointed if it does make you laugh because that kind yeah, of you're no, point yeah. of the franchise. It's a damning indictment of the show as well, I think, yeah. I find it funny. Yes. So, all right, well, better luck next time. Uh, make James Laugh will resume with audience suggestions once more in next week's show. Shall we move on to the news? Can I start? I want to start with... Um, uh, Something Ava DuVernay did on um, social media on Wednesday. So this is Friday, today the 3rd. On May the 1st, Ava has obviously been spent several months working on uh, When They See Us, which is the story of the Central Park Five yeah. boys. Um, and she, I just she did this amazing thing on Instagram. Um, so May the 1st was the 30th anniversary of Trump running ads, which essentially called for these five boys to be executed. By the way, this was before the trial, when they were still presumed innocent. Um, Obviously, everybody knows it was a miscarriage of justice. Now, I just want to name the five boys, because I think that's really important. And what we've... um, what They're often referred to as the Central Park Five, but those five boys who became men... 
Antron McRae, Kevin Richardson, Yusef Salam, Raymond Santana and Corey Wise. Um, and I think it, it they should have their names read. But she wrote this amazing caption. I'm just going to read the caption if you'll just bear with me one minute because I think it was incredibly powerful. So it's the poster and it's a Netflix show. It um, drops May 31st. I think it's a five-parter, four-parter. Um, and it said, on this day 30 years ago, Trump brought $85,000 worth of ads in all major New York... Um, New York papers calling for the execution of the boys known as the Central Park Five before their trial. Today we replace his hateful ad with another image. They were innocent and the system failed them. And I just thought it was the most uncynical, um, pure-hearted but powerful um, use of kind of social media promotion in some respects but using that 30th anniversary drawing up an ad that referenced you know what Trump did 30 years ago um, I just thought it was so incredibly powerful it really really kind of blew me away yeah yeah I can't wait to see that it series. looks incredible it looks absolutely incredible the trailer yeah. dropped a couple of weeks ago yeah. and it's uh-huh. the trailer you, is astonishing and you must feel like no one could possibly have done it apart from Ava DuVernay it's got that yeah. you know what I mean it needed someone of her stature and just everything. It feels so right that she's done it, isn't it? Like to me, anyway. Mm. Yeah. Um, can't wait to see it. She's very, very good. Can I bring up the most bizarre TV project that I've read about this year? Go on. Omniverse. You know about this? No. Hold on. Hit me with it. Jaden Smith uh-huh. is going to play an alternate reality version of Kanye West <laughs> in a drama what? series. Yes. I can't believe you. What, you two have been so busy with your make, putting Empire to bed and all that. You've missed the fucking greatest TV story oh. ever. Kanye West is producing it. It's going to, it's for Showtime. It's happening. It's being written by Lee Sung Jin, who writes a lot of Silicon Valley, which is a really good show. And this is the description of it, right? It's an, set in an alternate world, seen through the eyes of a young man somewhere in the multiverse who happens to also be Kanye West, a version of Kanye I West. I don't understand. No one understands. This is, this is Kanye into the Spider-Verse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's his first proper TV. He's, he's been like banging on about, oh, he wants to do this, that, and the other thing. But this is actually happening. It's actually got the go-ahead. And it's going to be Jane Smith playing a version of Kanye West. But what is, in so thing. in one reality... Jaden is Kanye, but what is he himself in the? No, I think it's going to be so. It's by the way, it's an anthology series. It's a half-hour anthology series. So I think each series is going to be a different version of Kanye West. That's that's the sense I get. It's examining the many doors of perception and seeing things, exploring ego through the alternate reality of Kanye. That's I mean beyond that <laughs> until we see it. There's not much more week, but. Absolutely fascinating and extraordinary, and I'm weirdly up for it. Yeah. For, for those who you can't see us because they can't, yeah. I'm just so confused. Yeah. Trying to process I mean, that no information. Way of, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, you know, will there it, be a version of Kanye that's actually like nice. Spider Ham, like a little pig guy? Oh God, I hope so. And like, and yeah. like a Kanye inside a giant robo exosuit, and. Huh. Yeah, and yeah. I hope there's a version of him where he doesn't make terrible trainers made by Adidas as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little kind of training. Ouch. Thing Hit him done. where it hurts. Yeah. Um, do you see that Netflix's Sex Education 2 yes. has started production, which is very exciting? They released a little video showing them doing a table read and lolling fulsomely. <laughs> uh, I cannot wait to see that. Absolutely yeah. cannot wait. That's really good news. Very um, Hulu made a bunch of announcements oh, this week. Yes, double Hulu. A lot action. going on there. So they One of ha- which is intriguing, isn't it? 
Yes, yeah, so they're launching a Ghost Rider series. That's not the one I was thinking of. And a yeah. Hellstrom <laughs> <Me> series. <laughs> <laughs> you are. This is where my natural go-to is. I saw that Ghost Rider yeah. and I was like, yeah, no, I don't one. even need to read that because no. James is going to yeah. be yeah. But writing this that like That's right. not interesting no, but story. This is interesting because Disney Plus is launching and they're launching with a bunch of Marvel shows on Disney Plus. So Hulu, though, <laughs> is going ahead with Ghost Rider and Hellstrom. But bear in mind, Hulu is owned by Disney. So it seems very much that Disney Plus is being the family-friendly arm of their properties. And it seems that they are now earmarking Hulu for their edgier material. Is that true? Yeah. But I don't think it's all going to be completely family-friendly on Disney Plus, Oh, well, broadly speaking, they're, they're making it quite inclusive do you know what I mean like, I don't think they're going to be sticking fucking Deadpool Weekly on there like no but those that, for example the Hawkeye uh, mm. whatever that ends up being it's still going to have an edge to it how much edge though remains to be you? seen like, so the thing to understand about uh, so Ghost Rider is and, and Hellstrom share the thing to share. Boyd the thing to understand. The thing to understand. I think the thing I was about to say. I think the thing to understand is it may be that James is making this up. No, I am not making this up. So, so Ghost Rider you know and Hellstrom. Fact. I know for Disney a fact. Disney Plus is going to be mainly family oriented. So there's going to be no edgy. I, I think you're wrong. James, <laughs> can you say right. this? All right, all right. All I'm saying is this: the theory, and by the theory, I mean my theory. <laughs> right. The is theory that is this? Is that Disney Plus is going to be their home for more accessible, more family friendly, broad audience stuff and that they are going to put their edgier stuff which hitherto have been on Netflix they're going to put it onto Hulu hitherto. which they also own and what happens in this country four. where we don't have Hulu well right. that is an excellent question Terry which we will address at another time <laughs> however for now and most Hulu stuff ends up on Channel 4 does that mean Channel well, yeah, 4 is going so to get it or, or on, uh, on Amazon yeah, I was taking a lot of Hulu yeah, stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, as I'm saying, so Ghost Rider and Hellstrom both share the same DNA because they're from the demonic side of the Marvel universe. So they involve hell and demons and whatnot. So <laughs> both of those are coming now. But interestingly, interesting. So for those who like uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield, Ghost Rider, the Ghost Rider series is going to star. Yes. yes, Gabriel Luna oh. as Ghost Rider. So he played Ghost Rider in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's also the big bad Terminator in the upcoming Terminator Dark Fate. And he is going to be, so he's going to be Ghost Rider again. So that that in itself is interesting. But I, I find this Hulu-ness, Hulu, <laughs> this Hulu-ness uh, quite interesting. Like as, a, as a kind of a, a, a potential arm for Disney to do crazy out there stuff. Yeah, but as I say, only like, the thing you've got to remember is they are launching Disney Plus so that they get to um, kind of aggregate all their own content without having having to push it out either of the platforms. So I can see the argument with Hulu in the US, but globally it doesn't make mm. that much sense because they wouldn't want to still put things on Netflix or Amazon, mm. I don't think. Do you think it'll circle back in a kind of Hulu hoop? Hulu hoop. I and- think I think Disney Plus will have will cater for very specific audiences and there will definitely be kind of gatherings of content. I would be very surprised if there wasn't an element of that that was um, slightly more adult. Yeah, and also I think I'm right in saying Disney effectively now has um, channels and streaming services and apps where its family-friendly stuff is gathered. So for me, like the whole point of Disney Plus is going to be something different, a different offering. Where you know, so I think it's completely wrong. Anyway, the more interesting. I disagree. But go on. The more interesting Hulu news is that the team behind Big Little Lies, including 
Original author Liam Moriarty, David E. Kelly, who co-writes the scripts, and Nicole Kidman, who stars and produces. Their next thing is going to be on Hulu, which is going to be an adaptation of Liam Moriarty's most recent novel, Perfect... Um, Nine Perfect, Nine Perfect, Nine Perfect Strangers. Nine Perfect so What is... happened there? How did HBO lose this yeah. incredible team who've made one of the best things ever and Big Little Lies Series 2 is about to arrive, and it's gone to That's Hulu? That's an interesting point, because I spoke to Nicole Kidman about oh, Nine Perfect you. Strangers. God, it was last year at some wow. point. Uh, and she is that when you forgot to press the record button? That is literally... Yes, when I forgot to press the record button, I had to start the interview again. Let's yeah. move on from that. Well, but also that Kidman and Kelly are doing the undoing with HBO and, a, yeah. and you know, obviously season two of Big Little Lies. Yeah. So this is a it's bit an of an odd thing. Did odd... they outbid them? Like what? It's what happened isn't here? It? Yeah. But mm. also, I got most excited by the fact that John Henry, I didn't realise John Henry Butterworth, oh, yeah, who's yeah, a screenwriter, yeah. is just Butterworth's brother. That is interesting, yeah. yeah. At least the... For, for, yeah. <laughs> of Britannia fame. Yes, of Britannia fame. <laughs> I think he worked on Britannia with him. They worked together a lot. together a lot, yeah, because yeah, I went to a, um, a launch of Britannia when they were both there discussing, yeah, mm. and they're, fa- they're fascinating. But yeah. when does this... So Nine Perfect Strangers, we don't know where that's going to wear when it comes to UK, but this well, does I, mean I, it's unlikely to be Sky Atlantic. I think it's more likely to be Channel 4. Yeah. Yeah. I think so it is likely to be Channel 4. That's an interesting development. All right, I'll give you that. That's quite interesting. Speaking of... <laughs> you give me that, he says slightly that. reluctantly. Hulu News. Hulu uh, News. There was a, a trailer for The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Yeah. Did we see this? Oh, oh, Terry didn't like it at well, all. So I can see what they're trying to do, right, which is it was very much about the fight back rather than just the unrelenting, oppressive yeah. misery we've become <laughs> used to, mm. um, which makes sense because, you know, and and turn off for the next five seconds if you haven't watched season two, but at the end of season two, um, June decided to stay in Gilead and this is obviously um, her trying to fight from within and it looks like she'll have some kind of ally in Serena potentially which is all laid out in the trailer for you um, I don't know like it, it was and I I abandoned season two because it was so unrelentingly like self-harmy like how much more can you take of this every week um, and when the real world is so oppressive and awful um, I couldn't face it in my light entertainment as well yeah. not so light entertainment but there, I don't know there was something kind of meh about that trailer like it's such a powerful show and I kind of and I sense they were trying to affect a tonal shift to kind of respond to some of the um, potentially some of the criticisms before but I I don't know it didn't feel very powerful or very exciting or See, I have to disagree. This made me really want to watch Handmaid's Tale Season 3 when I I basically assumed I was never going to watch it again because yeah. I thought, this has no story, it's going nowhere, it exists solely to make me unhappy and I'm not having it. Uh, whereas this, I thought, all oh, stuff's happening. There's revolution, oh Serena, there's an, un, un, an awkward alliance there. I thought, this this feels like they're actually yeah. going somewhere with it, they've got a plan. And I think, because see, Season 1 was based on the book, so that yeah. was very tightly structured. Season 2 felt like it wasn't. Yeah. And this feels like they've actually written some you know story and they have a destination in mind so I may I mean I will because we'll have to review it for this podcast but I will I will be happy to return to Gilead for season three I think and we'll see how that one goes yeah, I'm kind of with I, I thought I was more excited about it as well I, I thought it, I, it kind of got me yeah, I, I was I thought okay I'll, I'll give it a go and I totally had the same experience of season two mm. it, was too, it was too much yeah. two other trailers dropped as well we had the trailer for the new Veronica Mars series which looks great I didn't look at that oh, <laughs> Veronica Mars was amazing I loved Veronica Mars I was on, I was on set of the Ron, Veronica Mars movie wow. um, but yeah I'm a long time fan of that to see that coming back is great Veronica Mars was really good at the time wasn't it yeah, yeah, very influential Actually. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I'll really good show. Okay. So that's coming back. Also on 
Hulu. Hulu. Uh, and also there was a trailer for Deadwood. The Deadwood. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. though, it's called The Deadwood Movie. Is so it called Deadwood the Movie? It. What, The Deadwood Movie or Deadwood, Deadwood the Movie? Deadwood the Movie, yeah. Oh, is yeah. that what you mean? We're not allowed to do movies? Yeah, because it's not on Deadwood TV. the TV show. It's Deadwood the Movie. Therefore, we can't discuss it. <laughs> but if we uh, were going to discuss yes. it, I would say that yes. it looked great. And it was fantastic to see these characters back looking much, much older yeah. and having lived their lives and progressed and moved on and done things, but also fundamentally being the same, like Hearst being the same old shitbag swearing and being the same old awesome sweary whoremonger I mean it's it's yeah I'm very excited to see that see where they've all been and catch up with these characters and move back to Deadwood <gasps> well can I just throwing another movie but no not a movie well one version not a movie uh, Tarantino <laughs> commented on this hateful eight yes. yeah. stuff so, demented isn't it yeah so I first saw this because um, somebody I follow on Twitter was having a very violent reaction to the apparent kind of um, move by Netflix to carve up the hateful eight into a number of episodes um, which was essentially based I think on that 70 mil roadshow yes. cut which I have at, seen which I've seen I saw it at Leicester Square um, which has an interval essentially baked into to it um, and it never got released on home end now apparently so there's a, a big hoo-ha about oh my god Netflix sacrilege they've carved up Tarantino's film against his will you, you know because Quentin Tarantino is a super relaxed guy who'd be yeah. fine with that um, and he's now given an interview saying no no it was done by him so they went to him and said would you consider this him and his editor got back together and they put in another 25 minutes worth of footage um, and carved it up into, he said they didn't re-edit the entire thing from scratch, but they carved it up into 50 um, minute chunks. Um, and he described it as as being excited because you can feel the chapters unfolding. And it is, you know, as yeah. we all know, that this film is, is made in chapters. Um, and they'd asked, you know, is this going to be something you do for other things? And he was like, no, 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 it just felt... Um, uh, specific to Hateful Eight. I suppose in a way of the ballad of Buster Scruggs, right? Is it yeah. similar? I mean, I first of all, I was like, why would you fucking touch that? Because I love it as a film. But actually, as soon as I heard that he was um, definitely behind it and has put in on 25 minutes of unseen footage is no small amount of footage. So I actually think I'm going to go and... Um, but am I right in saying I don't think it's on UK Netflix? Is it not on UK? No, I tried to find it as soon as I. It's I definitely not. I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm just. I was about to check, but it wasn't the last time I looked. It my, wasn't. Yeah. My UK friend cancelled um, <sighs> his Netflix account in anger at them for doing this. Well, yeah, I mean, that seems excessive. That is a bit much. Here's some other news. Willow is maybe coming to the small screen as a series. Have you seen this? Yeah. Apparently, uh, John Carson has been harassing <laughs> Ron Howard about this for a while, and Ron Howard has finally relented. So they are now talking about adapting Willow for a TV series. And wow. I can see that wow. neither of you give a shit. So that's uh, that's good. Okay, well, here's something you should care about because this is really interesting. So Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are developing a TV series adaptation of Ben Aronovich's The Rivers of London, which is a, a kind of an urbanish fantasy book uh, which involves ghosts and the supernatural. It's set around, and it is very much a love letter to the capital. And it's really funny, and it's really compelling. Uh, and I love that it's Pegg and Frost who are doing this. Mm. Apparently, Frost, uh, Frost read the book 
and got obsessed with it and was amazed that he was able to option it. And so they're going to turn this, the first book, which is Rivers of London, which I've read, which they're going to turn into into a series. And then, I mean, there's about, I want to say there's like five or six or maybe even seven books in this series. It's an ongoing, it's an ongoing one uh, following police constable Peter Grant, a, you know, part of the supernatural division of the Met. And it's really, really good. So this is one to, to, to keep an eye on. You know, I was going to say, when you say he was really surprised that I could option it, the only other person who would possibly option it is you. <laughs> that is just unfair. And yet... True. And yet, possibly true. Uh, okay, fine, fine. You don't care. Right, should we end news there, or do you have something else to say? I have a final no. one to well, cap news with. By the way, but... I, I still don't think Ava Late is available on UK Netflix, yeah, so I can't find it. I can only find the film at the moment. Yeah, just okay. to say, which is really annoying, because I really want to yeah. see this. I love that, I really want to see this this version of it. Um, I'm going to mention one quick thing. Kate McKinnon is going to... Have you heard the, um, the dropout... Uh, which is a brilliant podcast, documentary podcast, all about this extraordinary woman who set up a dodgy blood testing company called Theranos. Have you heard of this? No. Yeah, she set up this thing, this self-blood testing kit was the idea, and um, which turned out to be completely not work properly at all. And there's a massive scandal in America. She she saw herself as like the kind of female Steve Jobs, right? And she's absolutely extraordinary character. So there's that podcast, which is unbelievable listening. There's a documentary about her as well. And there's a film being made about her but there's also a TV series being made about her, and Kate McKinnon is going to play her. And Kate McKinnon is brilliant. If you've seen on Saturday Night Live, etc. And I'm really excited about that. So that's kind of the story is so intriguing that every it's been covered by every single format. So a documentary exists. Do you know where uh, I can see documentary, that? Documentary um, is being made for mm. HBO. Yes. So um, that's not there yet. So at the moment, it's mainly the podcast. Podcast. Yes. Thank okay. You while we are on the subject of news, I should point out that the June issue of Empire Magazine is now on sale with the one and only John Wick 3 on the cover. Now, this doesn't feature a new issue of Pilot. You're going to have to wait another month for that. However, however, it does contain Ian McShane talking exclusively to Empire about the upcoming Deadwood finale revival film, uh, <laughs> which I very, very much recommend you read. There's also uh, yet more news on uh, other shows coming to Apple Plus, ones not mentioned in the keynote. So that's well worth a read as well. Uh, the June issue of Empire then on sale now. Get one. Let's move on to this week's reviews. Uh, first up this week is Chernobyl. This is a five-part HBO Sky co-production which dramatises the events surrounding the 1986 explosion at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine. This stars Jared Harris, Stellan Skarsgård, Emily Watson, Barry Keoghan and a host of other British talent. It is brutal. It is a harrowing account of the worst man-made disaster in history and, as you might expect, it's a laugh riot. Isn't that right, Boyd? It is. This is a really distressing. So we should say. So this is a um, five part. Yeah, five part. Five part. Um, did you just say that? I did. Thank you. Um, so, but it opens with the actual incident yes. itself. So you're straight in, which is quite a. In a way, I mean, actually, there's a, there's a, there's a framing device, which is a, a man's suicide. We should say that. That's not a spoiler. That's literally the first yes. scene. The first so thing you see that, is Jared Harris killing himself. Jared I think we can himself. say that. So it starts with that. Then it shows you, and you're not quite sure yet who he is and how he fits in with the whole story. Then it depicts in unrelenting, but I have to say, extraordinarily authentic feeling detail the actual disaster itself yeah. in the nuclear reactor and all the staff working on it and how people clearly just end up, you know, with kind of melting faces. Oh, it's horrific. Head. It is horrific. And what it reminded me of was a kind of Paul Greengrass approach to this yeah. kind of thing, you know, like United... 93. 93. Yeah. Um, he did an incredible... Um, 
TV drama about Hillsborough, the way he has of dramatising these appalling real-life events, I, I've always thought was brilliant because mm-hmm. just by showing you these these events, he and he doesn't spend the kind of normal time you would spend with characters' backstories and stuff. He just introduces them showing you the experience they're going through, the appalling experience they're going through. And for me, that really worked. I've seen reviews. So I, I was thinking, I, was, I saw some reviews of it, of this saying, oh, we shouldn't have started like this because we don't feel for these people. But actually, I did. I saw it was still really moving emotional. I got just a little see confused the, that okay. they were all dressed like they worked in KFC and they all seemed to have the same moustache. So I found it hard <laughs> at times to differentiate between them. But yes, I take your point. Yeah. <laughs> but So I really worked for me. And I, and I was absolutely, I thought it was like devastatingly yeah. real. And... Um, just just brilliantly done. And the extraordinary thing about this is, is that the guy who has um, written it and created it, Craig Mazin, yeah. previously worked on The Identity Thief, Huntsman Winter's War, Scary Movie 3 and 4, yep. and The and, Hangover 2 and, and, and 3. Hangover 2 and 3. Some of the worst <laughs> films ever made, I'm saying. But also tonally and a little bit different. A little bit different. How has he ended up doing this thing? Which is one of the most distressing, serious, heavyweight, yeah. and kind of good things. And this is because this is a fine part drama. Like the first hour of this is really just prologue. So you don't even right. get introduced really to the main characters no. until episode two. So the first one is just about the accident. But this show is not about the accident. It's about the response to the accident. The sheer level of A, incompetence, yeah. and B, not corruption exactly, but like institutionalised cover-up and denial that this is happening. And I think there's a sense, isn't there, that initially you think, oh, this is Soviet Russia, so obviously they're going to the officials are going to fight against the scientists. That's the kind yeah. of classic. It's a kind of classic disaster movie battle, though, yes. isn't it? So, it's like, so I didn't. So even though it's very specific, and you think, yeah, you know, clearly this has been meticulously researched, and this is what happened. Yeah, it does also feel a little bit because I did watch episode two, so a little I. bit like mm. one of those seventies disaster movies where actually everyone's being a bit stereotypical and one-dimensional. Yeah. So. I found the first episode incredibly powerful, and then for once, then once the characters become more like normal characters, you get in this type of shot. I felt it slightly less powerful, but I will carry on watching. See, I I found two just as powerful oh, okay. as the first one. Like, there's a bit where Emily Watson, who is a, a Belarusian uh, expert in nuclear physics, she goes in to speak to one of the Communist Party officials to say, look, <laughs> mate, basically, we're all fucked. And he's just like, no, no, we're fine. And she's like, well, no, my opinion is this. He goes, I prefer my opinion. And she's like, well, I'm a nuclear physicist and used to work in a shoe factory. And that's the battle you've got here. You've got politicians who know nothing choosing not to believe. And at every point in this, when Jared Harris's expert is coming in, and he's fantastic in this, When he's coming in and he's basically saying, look, I'm telling you, this accident isn't what you think it is. It's much, much, much more serious. And they're all just dismissing it out of hand. Like Even like the guy said, no, no, I've seen with my eyes the core has exploded. Uh, And the guy in charge of the plant's going, no, it's not possible. Get him out. He's hysterical. (laughs) It's just like the level of denial. And then the sheer volume of it and the horror. Like in the first episode, you see like there's children playing in the quote unquote snow, which is the radioactive ash. And you're just like, all of you are dead. Yeah, Yeah, it's like it reminded me of a horror film at parts Mm -hmm. as much as a thriller. Um, And that scene in particular which yeah it's shot very romantically slow-mo it's it's shot as you know it reminded me of um edward scissorhands when winona Ryder yeah. is dancing yeah. in the snow that he's cutting because he's making statues it really reminded me of that and you've got children a baby being exposed to this air as and they're kicking the ash around with their feet i mean the whole thing we have to say is beautifully shot mm. i mean the production design on it as well is absolutely impeccable i think the three of them, Jared Harris, Stellan Skarsgård and Emily Watson, yeah. are 
absolutely formidable. Jessie Buckley, who is I can't say enough nice things about. Um, I think she's a phenomenal um, actor. And I thought it was an interesting narrative choice to start off and you've got the incident. And as you say, before you know who they are, you're being asked to care. Yeah. And and that for me is kind of a... It's, it raises an important philosophical question, which is, you know, when you've got nameless, faceless, scores of people impacted by anything like this, you have to care on a human level because they are human beings, whether you know about them or you don't know about them. There were a couple of times when I was a bit thrown by like, it, it's a little bit dense in t- at times and a little bit confusing. I, c- I had to rewind in a couple of spots. Um, and the, the the kind of horror of the first episode is can be a little bit. It's not for the faint hearted. Oh, it gets much worse. Yeah, yeah. But it's unrelenting. It's yeah. like a really unrelenting kind of hour of yeah. kind of hardcore. It's emotionally um, grueling. The first yes. one they get. I mean, the, the horror as the radiation effects start to be felt as the episode's gone, it gets right. much more graphic. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, there's a, there's <laughs> a lot. You know, it's like don't you know don't eat while you're watching this. Yeah, it's distressing. Yeah. Also, the other thing is it's a bit. Is, is Dunkirk did that, didn't it? Dunkirk did uh, yes. no backstory just show mm-hmm. you these people thing. I, I, I kind of admire yeah. that but yeah. I think it works but also this, I mean god I'll tell you where else it reminded me of Dunkirk was the uh, use of sound yeah. is there is like alarms and I'm just it's, it's constant noise and actually the way they use silence I thought yeah, was brilliant. really brilliant because yeah. you're suddenly it's like in Dunkirk you're only aware that there's been you know this noise in the background the entire time when it stops mm-hmm. and there's that level of peace what they managed to communicate is the absolute chaos and power Panic and and horror on a real kind of human scale, but the noise it, it's it's kind of a real assault mm. on the senses yeah. at some points. Yeah, experiential. Yeah, yes, that it is immersive. Yeah. Boyd. Thanks. Immersive. That's another good word. Yeah. What is fascinating about this is everyone knows the word Chernobyl and everyone mm. associated with nuclear, but I think very few people understand yeah. a what the disaster was or b what it could have been. And there's a there's a a unique type of horror in this, in that unlike other accidents or incidents or attacks where people die, with this, it's the delayed death. The way mm. these people, you see all these people, they're firemen, they're putting out fire and they're standing there and you're looking and thinking, all of you people are dead. You mm. just don't know it. You're mm. dead men walking. But also, isn't that there are bigger issues which are really kind of relevant right now around, as you're saying about the cover-up around truth and, yes. and the nature of life and the, and how it begins is this, um, and again, it's not a spoiler because it's literally the first thing you hear is the voiceover narration what is the cost of a lie mm. and they say it's not it's it's that you the real danger is that you hear enough that you no longer recognize the truth at all and then and then what can we do is what they ask when literally you hear a lie yeah. so much that you stop recognizing it as such this feels I mean, on the one hand they've tapped into a very you know potent source mm. of drama but it, this feels very deliberately timely like this mm. is what happens when you don't listen to experts you know michael gove who can fuck off uh, <laughs> said you know we've had enough of experts we actually haven't we yeah. kind of need them and when you don't listen to scientists when they're telling you there's a problem hint hint climate change you know you can be undone by it and it feels like this feels a little bit like it's a wake-up call you need to react before it's too late and in this case they did and while hundreds of thousands of people died it would have been millions of people Mm. and paul ritter's in it from friday night dinner well, well, yes. Really, there's really that too. Good. In that first scene, is the man who's ridiculously telling everyone to go right into the middle of the nuclear reactor, and it's all going to be fine because you've just got to sort it out. Yeah, unbelievable performance by him. 
There you go. There you go. Uh, so Chernobyl, incredible piece of drama. Uh, can't exactly say it's a feel-good fun. Sorry. It's pretty gruelling, but we definitely do recommend it. Chernobyl comes to Sky Atlantic on Tuesday the 7th of May at 9pm. And Now TV. And Now TV. I always forget Now TV. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. what I'm here to just say yeah, Now your, TV. Your Now TV's got boys yeah. on commission. Well, almost. <laughs> Uh, following on for Chernobyl, we have the second series of Deep State, uh, starring Joe Dempsey and Karima McAdams. Uh, series one of this focused on Mark Strong. He was a retired intelligence officer, sort of dragged back into the field to initially avenge and then save his son, who was played by Joe Dempsey. Uh, series two, though, focuses on Dempsey, uh, Dempsey and McAdams uh, and introduces Walton Goggins, who, of course, I love, as he is in both The Shield and later on Sons of Anarchy. Uh, but he plays a kind of dodgy CIA guy and this one is more about, well, it's more of the same. It's more sort of overturning intelligence conspiracies, particularly in this case around the murder of a group of soldiers in Mali and a missing translator who may know more than first appears. Terry, what did you think of this? You haven't seen Deep Space uh, Series 1, have you? Uh, that noise sounds I'm promising. Just, <laughs> I'm just going to review from now on in noises. So um, I didn't watch... Um, season one because I was worried it was generic kind of CIA operative thriller and um, I've now watched episode one of season two and I can tell you it's generic CIA <laughs> operative uh, I love what's Goggins right so yeah. I should just say that um, uh, The Shield but also uh, Justified Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Raising the Hateful Eight. Kind of quite a few, you know, he's old dad who hasn't got enough time for his daughter and always been dragged away from work. I just, I just think we are in, especially in this kind of genre, um, there are so many other exciting shows. I just found this really boring yeah. I have to tell you that was my over and I, that sounds <laughs> simplistic but my overwhelming reaction to the show was I was bored I felt like I'd seen it all before I wasn't particularly compelled along by the writing by the narration some you know it opens actually in quite a horrific way I was quite shocked by mm -hmm. the level of violence that you see immediately um, but even that I was kind of desensitised to it I, I did watch a very violent action movie this morning I watched John Wick 3 <laughs> maybe that was um, and I watched this over lunch maybe that's what did it for me um but yeah so i d i just found it kind of meh really yeah. um and i didn't really want to watch another episode and i thought walter goggins actually wasn't that well used no i mean certainly not in the first episode so the series one of this was fine like mark strong I is always strong good and, and it, that it was quite focused mm. initially but then got a bit woolly towards the end and again i think the series ran out of steam before the end and this feels like more of the tail end of series one where it's a bit woolly and in my mind this kind of falls into the same category as the widow did few weeks ago where yeah. yeah you know it's it's yes. perfectly fine but there are really good things out there so perfectly fine doesn't really cut it it felt weirdly like all out of date can i say yeah. that Do you know what i mean like we're in such a um interesting place in certain 
political thrillers that really deal with, you know, socioeconomic instability in, in interesting places in the world. Yeah. We are ripe with them and they are told in really interesting ways. If you think about fundamentally what Killing Eve is, for example. Mm. Um, and so it feels very old fashioned um, and kind of really predictable um, in that sense. And I think this genre has moved on so much over the last two years. And maybe that's what I'm reacting to. But I just felt like I'd seen it all before. This could have been made at any point in the last 10 years. Did you notice the fact that it's a very British cast uh, uh, and doing a lot of very dodgy American accents? Mm-hmm. I think it's strength. I like So I like the season one. I think the strength of it is that for me, it's like um, Homeland, but more authentic. Oh, what do you like? Yeah. Well, Homeland, Homeland is goes crazy. deliberately yeah. crazy. Homeland goes, I mean, that's wow. out of control. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. deliberately so. Right, yeah. so for me, this is, that's my point. This well, when is... you say authentic, do you mean more down to earth? <laughs> no, I mean... When you I mean think authentic? I've, this feels like, as in the detail of the situations it's depicting and how intelligence works and how espionage works in this day and age and how the specific operations work. And that opening scene, for example, for me, that felt like a very realistic, authentic way of showing As you said, quite shocking. If you hadn't yeah. seen John Wick, it would have been yeah. more powerful. Um, and I feel like the way the characters interact and the way they're told what they're supposed to do, all of that rings true for me. So I, that's my, I think its main strength is that it, I think it does ring true. And it's quite careful, I think, and not going too far over over the top, which may be to it, it maybe detracts from it, it makes it feel not quite as thrilling as mm. you want it to be. So I almost feel like it's slightly fighting against itself. It's going right. We're going to be. We're going to keep it real. We're not going to go too far over the. So Warren Goggins' character, he he, he, lo- he normally he's playing huge, larger than life yes. figures. In yeah. this, he's actually dialed down. Yes, which is interesting. But it feels generic. But that, like, when it's right. like, oh, you know, Daddy's got to go to the office. Oh, I'll call you late, sweet. Oh, are you upset? I mean, I was literally like the 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 dad who. Can't yeah. be open with his. Um, oh, there's his ex-wife who still got the arse on with him for missing dinner for the last five years. Like that, that kind of thing has been played so much to death. I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup as sure. a character. Sure, it was all broad brushstrokes. Here's my big fat paintbrush. I'm just gonna like wipe a wall with it. I don't know where I'm going with that. Yeah, that's yeah. I, yeah, I, I take that up, but I still, I, I, I still enjoy it. And I still, Dempsey I mean, McCann's both very De- watchable. Joe Dempsey, great. You know, again, I feel it's watchable. No, I mean that in a good way. I don't yeah. mean that in a damning but, or faint praise. I yeah. think they're both I'm very good. I'm watching it, which I don't. You know, oh, yeah, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I did with it. And you, you, I agree with you about season one. But and, and I do miss Mark Strong. So yeah. I feel like but they mention him in this, but I don't think he's in it. Oh, he's definitely not in yeah. it. And and that it was that there was a very interesting relationship between him and the son. That yes. strange. That that was interesting. Yes. That that gave it a whole really interesting um, kind of texture to the first series. So I think, and I can use that word again, texture-wise, I like it. I, I do I do really, I find it compelling to watch these people going about their business in, yeah. in a believable way, but it isn't like, I, I'm not like enthralled by it in that way, but I will carry on watching it. Do you want to know a hot Joe Dempsey fact? Go on. I had a Nando's next to him a few weeks ago. That's not a fact. It is. It happened. Yeah, Therefore, it's, it's a fact. It's, it's, uh, I went. It's I had, was spotted. No, I had yeah. a solo Nando's in Soho because I'm like that, and he was also having a solo Nando's on the table next to mine. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Is a solo Nando's a euphemism for something? No, it's not. Wow. <laughs> it's literally just wow. sitting on your own having a Nando's. <laughs> right. Me and Joe Dempsey were both having yeah. a solo Nando's. Yeah. yeah. Were you indeed? Yeah, we were. I nearly said hello, but then realised he's a really nice guy. No idea. He would have loved was. it. No, he came to the Empire. I know, I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've yeah, met him because yeah. he came to the Empire. Yeah, also. He's, he's, he's great. That is Deep State, which airs on Fox UK and not now TV at 9pm on May the 9th, Thursday, May the 9th. Correct. Finally this week, 
we have The Society, the latest Netflix original to uh, materialise out of the ether and crash unbidden into our watch lists. Uh, this this is interesting. This is written by Party of Five creator Christopher Kaiser and directed by the amazing Spider-Man and 500 Days of Summer's Mark Webb. And this is about a group of high schoolers who go on a field trip only to come back and find all of the adults gone. And, and crucially, no way to leave the small town they live in. Or is it their small town at all? Or a replica of it? Who knows? We don't. We've only seen the first one. But, uh, as you might expect, the first night without adults is a wild, debauched party of sex and alcohol and drugs and guns and God knows what else. But then it all gets a little bit serious when they realise they have to now, you know, function. So it's kind of a trust fund Lord of the Flies, if you will, with sort of mansions instead of forest. What, what do we all think of this? I, I, I think the premise is great. Yes. I'm totally dead. It's lost to meet Lord of the Flies yes. with... In, in this day and age. Meets the OC. Meets the OC. <laughs> right, meets Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Meets, you know, modern day teen. Teen, now the, the one of Netflix's brilliant USPs, I think, is it does teen drama, um, like sex education example of this, yep. very, very explicit. It's raunchy, it's yeah, sweary, it do, they say yeah. fuck. So it's like what the network TV Which, can't do. What the network can't do is right. show you what teenagers what are actually, actually like. like. Right. So all of that I loved. I loved the premise. And... Um, I really need to know why, what, what the fuck is going on. So basically, the, all the te- all the team, ki- all the high school kids are sent off to go on this field trip yeah. uh, by their parents. They go off in a coach. There's a, they can't they can't go there for some reason. Then they get back and then they go back to their hometown and it's empty and all the all the adults are gone. I love that premise and yeah. already I'm entertained um, by the first episode. I'm half, um, halfway through the second episode. It is quite cheesy in terms of characterization. Yes. So the jocks are the jocks and the yeah. sensitive people are the sensitive people so far. Now I'm going to, considering there are 10 episodes, I'm assuming I have to, that some of these characters will be deepened and that, you know, some of the jocks won't be quite as jockey as they yeah, are. Yeah, they really the first, need to they need break to, out of those archetypes. They need to break out of the it's archetypes. It's a very American trope that, isn't it? That they make high school kids so tribal. Yeah. And it's like people can be more nuanced than that. Well, the, the, the only thing I'd say is, I mean, American school... American education is incredibly tribal. <laughs> I enough. mean, it still is unbelievably tribal. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll give you a go. But I'm gripped. I have to say I'm absolutely gripped. It's it's very well made in a slightly different way to some other Netflix things. Like, you know, last week, what's the Netflix thing we did last week? The horror thing? Chambers. 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 So Chambers is unbelievably stylish and yeah. beautiful to look at and kind of atmospheric. This is kind of slightly more raw. and But I think it, the style of it fits the story very well. I'm going to carry on watching it without a doubt. And I need to know what the fuck is going. And I thought it was interesting that I probably didn't send you this. There's a there's like a creator's letter that they sent to me, like to be critics reviewing, which I should have forwarded. And there's also a spoiler list, so in case anyone spoils anything, don't. Um, and in the in the creator kind of says like, yes, I'm I'm setting up this big mystery. Of what the hell is going on with these kids in this weird place, and why have they been left alone, and where are the adults gone? And the implication is, I'm going to. Solve it. Unlike Lost, yeah. I am going to let you well, know exactly. You would what's hope going so, on. given that it's not a yeah. network show right. that they would. So I'm have. excited about that to find out what's going on. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I, I found the setup really, really fascinating. Like, and it's uh, Rachel Keller's in it from uh, Legion and Fargo. She's very good. Yeah, and it's, she's one of the more interesting characters. Again, quite archetypal, but I think has some nuance to it. So I'm interested to see where it goes. Terry, did you watch this? I feel like Terry. I did. Right. So. Now, now, what noise would you make to review this one? <laughs> right. So I've got issues with this. Oh, right. You so, shocked me. Um, 
and actually it's interesting you mentioned Chambers because that I think the gap between something like Chambers and this is like night and day in terms of authenticity of teenage voice so Leah Rachel um, who did Chambers is a um, 34 year old woman uh, I think Chambers has an incredible authenticity of voice in terms of um, what teenagers uh, talk like how they behave um, if you think about your teenage years it's like a weird little club right adults don't understand it you have your own language to some respect there is this sense of it being tribal um my issue with this show and as you say we've only seen the first episode is that it doesn't feel current relevant or like it's been made in 2019 so it doesn't surprise me that chris kaiser 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 did party of five right so he's 59 years old mark (laughs) webb is 44 years old is that all 44 so but my point being you know middle-aged men Mm. um and i think there is a kind of um generic um, evergreen sense to how these teenagers are so it does remind me of Party of Five and it does remind me a little bit of Moments of Buffy and they are there are kind of teenage tropes that have been around since the start of time that don't feel particularly um, refreshed or modern in any way. You couldn't tell, for example, that this was made in 2019. If you took off Mm. the dates and you put somebody in front of it, this could have been made in 2005, 2010. It could have been the OC, right? So... Um, so I found that really difficult because it was really hard for me to get over it because I didn't believe any of the kids. I didn't believe the words coming out of their mouth. The dialogue especially, I kept tripping over. Um, and so it didn't, it lacked for me. The reason I liked Chambers is it felt really real. And even though, you know, I'm a long way away from being a teenager myself, I was really bought into that world and the weirdness and I found it really compelling. And I was really like pulled in by the mystery with this I just wasn't it left me really cold and I think it is because you know I read the, I read a thing for one it's contemporary Lord of the Fly no it's not like it's just not it's just it just isn't and well, it's I, playing with the same basic themes isn't the, it well that's the same basic themes of society it's why it's called society right like if you change fundamentally the way a society is constructed when it reforms itself, it still reforms itself along the basic lines of any society, which is people, even without adults, some people will rise to take the adult positions. Some people, there will still be a yeah. hierarchy of sorts, whether it's given yeah, by, I think that's by true. generations. I just, I found it, um, because I didn't believe it, because I didn't believe in the kids and the bonds and the tensions and all of that, I wasn't invested, I have to say. Um, and I was really disappointed because Chambers, as we know from the other week, was one of my favourite things and it felt really exciting. And it felt like, you know, God, this is a really exciting, fresh new voice. And I immediately wanted to know more about Leah Rachel. And um, and as a, it just felt really different. Whereas, again, this just feels, that sense of it being generic and a teenage show that could have been made at some point in the last 30 years. I had more time for this, I think, than you did. I mean, just on your point about it, I think it, I think the Lord of the Flies thing scans for me because the teenage element I think is quite important. There's the assumption that teenagers are closer to that primal atavistic state than perhaps adults are. So the breakdown of societal rules using teenagers, I think, 
there's more potential for things to fall apart because they're not yet part of a functioning society. Because te- in your teenagers, you exist between childhood and adulthood, mm. where you don't really adhere to societal rules, and you're not really a child either. You're kind of in this weird hinterland. And I think the sort of morality of that age group, which isn't fully formed, is quite flexible. Um, so I quite like that idea. And to Boyd's point, I liked the explicitness of it, that it did feel raw. Like the fact there's a there's an oral sex scene within about the first five minutes mm. where, you know, a character, a woman looks up, a girl looks up, I should say, and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, and there's a bloke buried in the nethers. You know, it's like, oh, that was unexpected. And it's not something you'd see on network television. But this feels like, the portrayal of teenagers in this feels like a network show, but those things keep reminding you it's not a network show. And I enjoyed that it wasn't just another teen network show. And the setup, I think, is compelling enough that I I will want to watch this and that it is a Netflix show and that it is sort of self-contained in that it has they've made these episodes already means that I expect there to be some form of resolution whereas mm. I have watched so many similar network shows to this where they've begun they've all been cancelled after three or four episodes and they've never really had an idea where they were going uh, and you know they were making it up as they went along because that's how network TV works did you ever watch um, I think it was Persons Unknown with Jason Wiles do you remember this Vaguely, where, it's, yeah. where it's like a handful of people wake mm. up in a small town that they've been abducted from their beds and they're in this small town they can't get out of it yeah. they don't know why they're there and it's abundantly clear from about episode 4 that the showrunners also have no idea yeah, why they're there or yeah. what's going on I mean neither did they were lost yeah. no idea why they were on the island they no. made it up as they went along yeah. and I think this it feels like something that has a yeah I agree with that structure. but I think Terry's right I think the the its strong point its absolutely strong point is the premise and yeah. the and the storytelling. I think the the dialogue is basic. I mean, it is absolutely basic. basic. It and is I basic. feel like they've spent. I feel it feels to me like you know who knows what the process is. But the those old guys who have created it <laughs> are so pleased with themselves with this <laughs> this idea and the concept and the fact that they've got you know they've kind of got unlimited Netflix you know budget because it you know yeah. it's got kind of it, it definitely it it looks. You know, cinematic in its in its own terms, not mm-hmm. as brilliant as as uh, as, the, as the other shows. I keep forgetting the name of Chambers. Uh, Chambers, thank you. Chambers is like you know in a different class. So I agree yeah. with you. Chambers is a different class, but deliberately, so, deliberate. So this feels what like what does that mean? No, but as in they have gone for a very specific feel. That they've gone yeah. for a very real, realistic, almost independent. Yeah. Vibe I feel like this. this is taking place almost in a universe of teen teen yeah. dramas yeah. using like, the same grammar that's yeah, established like for those shows. But a generic t- like, yeah, yeah, like, right, yeah. That's does, been going yeah. for the last yeah. twenty years. For the t- teenage, co- for this conceit to be interesting through the lens of teenagers, you have to create realistic teenagers. But the OC, no, actually, I'm fine with the it. The OC no, exists but in that world as well and is compelling and is good. Yeah, but what elevates the OC the is the writing and the characters. But it was also, if you, if you remember the way they spoke... They were very indicative yeah, of a certain agreed. type of teenagers totally, that yeah. existed at that yeah, point. Yeah, well, Cohen these, in particular. Kids, yeah, like Ryan was very generic. <laughs> well, but not from in the sense of um, the, well, his character was saying really interesting things about class and like the kind of like socioeconomic realities within teenage groups. I think that's what he and also privilege with mir- anyway. That's by the way. <laughs> My point being, like, you have to create a a compelling teenage drama comedy series whatever it is you have to for me you have to nail the teenager bit because you're right they are at a really specific and interesting point where the landscape will never look like that again for yeah. them they're a weird and species you, yeah and as you say they are trying to work out who they are where their morality lines are what they're comfortable with what they're not comfortable with it's why people experiment so much at that age right but also for you need to kind of harness that but also 
every generation of teenagers is different to the last. The fundamental things you may share about rebellion and about boundaries is great, but each generation of teenagers has their own vocabulary, has their own um, sensibilities, like their own concerns, and and the the big wider things may be the same, but there are really important differences. And what this doesn't manage to do is articulate and iterate those differences in an age of Trump and, you know, the the world, America, for example, a fundamental privilege may still exist, but there is some really interesting stuff happening with that generation. You're right, but I wonder whether it's almost... I'm not... Almost a deliberate choice to not to to be kind of timeless and Bollocks. generic. Yeah, I'm quite, I, well, I mean, like, because, because what's the benefit of that? Um, because I feel like that is going that way. That who knows what the explanation is going to be. But it is like that. So in, interestingly, there's a whole thing about mobile phones and when they they're all looking at their mobile yeah. phones and, yeah. all, and that's all, and then that, everything all of that becomes pointless. So kind of all of the specific specificity of their lives kind of ends up being completely pointless by the end of the first episode. And now they're just reduced to being the Lord of the Flies style society, where all the specific spirits you're talking about kind of don't matter anymore. So I'm, 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 I have no idea if this is true. And I, but at the end of the day, it, it's not bothering me. But everything I agree with everything you're saying. But it, I'm still enjoying it, and I'm still going to carry on watching every fucking episode. So on the, on being charitable, I'm being charitable, they've identified that teen movies have a certain vibe and a certain grammar, yeah. and they're adhering that because it's I a comfort zone. But then maybe subverting it with this sci-fi concept, or being less charitable, it's shitty, lazy writing from two middle-aged men who don't understand teenagers. Exactly. James, every now and then you hit the nail on that. Absolutely. <laughs> could go one way, could go the other. Why yeah. don't you guys watch oh, it and I'm, make I'm, your I'm own choice? i say this. If, it, if the dialogue and, and it had been anywhere near as good, you know, even Sex Education, another example, brilliantly yeah. on the show, oh, yeah. this would have been absolute peak, brilliant Rolls Royce yeah. of a show. It's not, but I'm still really enjoying it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I will give you that. That is The Society and this lands on Netflix on Friday, May the 10th. That is Reviews. If you are looking for dragons and do bear with us as usual the throne splaining will be at the very end of the show to shield you from the spoilers let me just say the louis through show is on as well Isn't oh yes this, point? Yeah. this is very true so this is on sunday go on the 12th go through the looking glass for a second yeah thank you <laughs> louis latest one-off documentary it's mothers on the edge and it is about um how motherhood can lead to extreme stress psychiatric difficulty and mental illness and louis meets um, a group of mothers and often their partners who have gone through the most extreme um, responses to becoming to motherhood, basically, and they he gets them to tell their stories. And it's got the class uh, is after the controversial previous Louis mm. through which was very mm. had lots of issues with it and was very problematic. This feels to me like classically through where he's talking about something you don't get. You don't see documentaries, but I've never, I've never seen a documentary about this specific thing. Um, extreme depression, suicidal thoughts that some of these uh, mothers have. At, and, you know, all the things that are going on um, within their bodies and with their minds. And it's and to see them talk about it and try and deal with it. And there's scenes, for example, there's one couple where the woman um, felt, felt like the, her, her partner or husband or whatever was both mother and father to the child and she couldn't... You're talking about um, postpartum psychosis, yes. right? And yes. it, does it deal explicitly with postpartum psychosis? Because that's different to postnatal depression. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's more psychosis than depression. Yeah, right. Although he does meet... There are different levels, there are different yeah. different levels of it, but he talks, it's talking about how that gets treated, yeah, so he's yeah. talking to people who are in various hospitals and institutions and all of that. But it's it's to see them explaining it and and 
uh, it will help people that have gone through this kind of thing. It will help mothers that have gone, I think, just to see other people laying out very honestly, unbelievably, you know, in unbelievable detail, what they've gone through and how it can, how it's affecting them. So it, it is incredible, but it is one. It's so painful to watch just because it has to be because their stories are so painful and distressing and traumatic so but it is Louis doing what he does so well though I have to say and when is that on? that's on this coming Sunday the 12th at 9 o'clock on BBC2 do we have a pick of the week? I'm, I'm saying um, I'm going to throw Chernobyl into this Chernobyl yeah, yeah. Chernobyl, yeah. Although I'm really going to, I'm enjoying the society, so I'm going to, I'm, you know, I can't oh, wait. I kind what of can't wait. Like? To, I can't how? wait. To, how? can you put the society out there with Chernobyl? That's I mean, Chernobyl madness. is better, but I'm, I'm put it this way. I'm going to finish the society before I finish Chernobyl. Really? Yes. Yeah, but that's because Chernobyl will make you want to kill yourself. Yeah. Chernobyl uh, or Chernobyl? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Would, I mean, but it's in Chernobyl. Russian, so it doesn't matter. Although speaking of which, and we didn't mention this in there, I found the choice of the. Everyone speaks with. Oh Cut yeah, the accent. British yeah. accents is weird, isn't with it? the exception of Stellan Skarsgård, obviously who isn't English, but he seems to be doing a Russian accent. He but he's the only yes. person in the entire yes. show who it's is, weird. and that is weird. It is weird. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. So I'm saying pick of the week is Chernobyl. One Chernobyl, and you're Chernobled. Right. Uh, no. All right. Let's not do that's wildly inappropriate for a show of that type. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, shall we move on to the Banshee? Did either of you bother to Banshee I this banshee. week? I have. Yeah. <gasps> You shock me. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I want to mention um, Big Love. Oh, oh. good, good. <laughs> oh. So oh, what's yeah. it here? Channel 4? Um, HBO Channel 4? show? Yes. Yeah. So. Channel 4 here, yeah. HBO in the States. So it was obviously Bill Paxton as the patriarch within a Mormon polygamous family and his three wives, who were played by Jennifer Goodwin, Chloe Sevigny, and um, Gian. I never know how to say it. Gian? Triple on? Gian? 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 John! I think it might be Gian. I think it's and do you know what? What I I loved about this, and I was talking to somebody about it the other day, is um, the way it kind of got inside all of those naughty things, not just fundamentalist religion, which is obviously kind of the first thing it takes aim at, but feminism, the notion of sisterhood um, in a broader sense within society, never mind when you're also sisters with the woman who also gets to have sex with your husband for two days a week. Um, funny, touching, clever, just those women are all absolutely remarkable actors. Um, Bill Paxton is finest. It's I great. have no more. Yeah, I interviewed Bill Paxton for that. Oh. The late, great Bill Paxton. And what Bill did Paxton. You say? He was awesome. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. He was just <laughs> awesome. Was awesome. That, yeah. um, do you know what I've gone for? The Last Panthers. Ah, okay. yeah, oh, yeah. I love it when you say what's that because so I, this I found because I was looking up Johan Rank if I'm pronouncing that properly who's the director of Chernobyl 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 <laughs> Chernobyl Chernobyl um, he directed that he directed Lost Panthers and it was written and created by Jack Thorne <gasps> ah. yes of This Is England, this is England. and The Virtues and Harry Potter and the Cursed Child <laughs> yes next week by the way we'll be doing is a, next week's fucking bumper week is next week's Virtues yes <gasps> yes James. and years and years there's so much next week honestly kill me yeah anyway and it was a really good Sky Atlantic, lavish, brilliantly made kind of Euro crime drama. And it was based on the story of, of a group called the Pink Panthers who were diamond thieves. And it's how they in, in, interacted with the art world, with crooks, with legal people. It was a kind of like a look at a, a world of crime, if you like, in Europe that doesn't get, you don't see very often, you don't get talked about very often. And 
it was really good. It starred Samantha Morton, Taharahim, John Hurt, brilliant cast. Wow. And it was very intense and moody and quite bleak. And I think it didn't, so it wasn't a big hit, I mm. would say. Um, so I don't think, so I think that's Terry's why not many already I think are going to like it. Mm. Where can I watch it? It's Bobby? on Sky Box sets. <gasps> now TV box sets. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, and now TV boy. And, and, and now TV. Yeah, The Last Panthers. Check it. Okay. Yes, I'm right. I'm literally writing this down. And it, it, but it, this was how good it was. It, it, some, uh, David Bowie's Black Star is the theme, and that was before that album came out. So oh it was God. like they got him to do to agree to give to use that song as the theme, even before anyone knew that he was going to do that album. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mine is partly in honor of Shazam. I'm going to do Chuck. Do you remember Chuck? <laughs> well, you what? said that in a very you oh, built no. up, and then you went Chuck. Oh, like, was like, in honor of Shazam, what the film that was out a month ago? Yeah, Shazam. well, because it's still people are still watching it, and people don't necessarily know who Zachary Levi is. Like he was in, he was one of the Warriors three and two of the Thor films, but you might not notice him behind the moustache. Um, anyway, so this is Chuck. It was um, it's an NBC show that ran for five years between 2007 and 2012, created by. As we've spoken about earlier this episode, the OC's Josh Schwartz. Uh, Zachary Levi in this was, was Chuck Bartowski, who's like this tech support guy working for... Essentially, this show's equivalent of Best Buy. Um, he's, he's, in their tech, he's in their sort of tech support department, the Nerd Herd, as it's called, uh, which is going to be the name of my autobiography. Um, and he becomes a recipient of the, the Intersect, which is like a piece of weird software. I mean, it's a ridiculous MacGuffin. Uh, containing all US government secrets. It's like downloaded into his brain. So he has access to all agency intelligence and later on sort of has access to a bunch of sort of uh, um, Jason Bourne-esque abilities through this Intersect as well. So it's very much a comedy and it was it was so much fun. And Levi in this is just brilliant in this. The same sort of energy he has in Shazam, like mm-hmm. almost childlike energy, just runs through this show's veins. Um, and, he, you know, he hangs out with all these nerd types at work, but then gets whisked off on missions by his CIA and, and NSA handlers, uh, who are played by Yvonne Strahovski and uh, of who you will know from The Hammer's Tale, among other things, uh, and Adam Baldwin. Um, it's got a bit of James Bond in it. It's got a lot of true lies in it. And there's a Die Hard homage episode. Die Hard? Die Hard? Did I say that? Yes. Yeah, Die Hard. <laughs> die Hard. Um, and there's a Die Hard uh, sort of homage episode starring Reginald Vell Johnson, which is absolute genius. It, this, it nearly got cancelled after season two, this is, but they, there was a big fan campaign, weirdly targeted at Subway, the, the sandwich shop, because they, were, they were a sponsor. And the fans targeted that, and Subway agreed to like increase their spend and part finance the next season. Uh, and it limped on for, for, for five years. I mean, it nearly got cancelled at the end of each one of them, but it did go on for five years. Uh, and it's loads and loads of fun. I think if you, if you enjoyed Levi and Shazam, you'll love him in this. Uh, and you can pick up season one for one pound. Oh, here we go. One pound. At where? Um, uh, Sex exchange. Yes. Sex exchange. Uh, But you can actually pick up all five for £30, which is slightly less good value. But you can get the individual seasons very, very cheaply. Um, And that is Chuck. Um, Right, all right. Well, it's that time now. We're heading back to Westeros for our review of the latest Game of Thrones as ever. Spoilers are coming. So if you haven't seen the fourth episode of Game of Thrones Season 8, then please skip this bit completely until you have. So, Episode 4, The Last of the Starks. Terry, throne noob, what did you make of it? Uh, 
I was mixed on this, I have to say. Very long. What was it? A full 78 minutes. Uh, Felt a little bit to me like two episodes crammed into one. Um, Weird things omitted in terms of things that you didn't see happen on screen. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know where to start. Where should we start at the beginning? Wherever you... What jumps out? Well, why don't we start with the two deaths? So they were quite light on body count during... The, uh, the Long Night, which we commented yeah. on last week. And yet, one very shocking death this week and then one completely non-shocking death this week. I think Missandei's days have been numbered for quite a while. She'd been walking around with a target on her back and the second she held hands with Grey Worm on the ship and had things to say, it was like, oh dear, you're fucked. So, uh, there's been some controversy, right, about this death and there's a lack of um, characters of colour yeah. in Game of Thrones right and it has been pointed out um, the cho- the choice to be made um, of sort of her being in chains and then executed at the end I think that was I think that was tr- problematic for some people I think Ava DuVernay tweeted what do you, did I you have Ava DuVernay's point? tweet with me right here because I knew this would come up she said so the one and only sister on the whole epic years-long series that's what you want to do okay hashtag GOT clearly making it clear she does not approve <laughs> clearly I should not be uh, be race-splaining to Ava DuVernay about this but However, you're going to I'm going to yes uh, and oh, I'm going to do hold it. on race and female-splaining I'm going to yes. do everything I'm going to she's the only all. woman of colour yeah, in the whole yeah, bloody yeah. thing I'm going to explain all, and I say two things one I think the chain thing was a deliberate callback to the fact that she when we meet her she's a slave and Daenerys frees her and one of Daenerys' titles is the breaker of chains because she frees all the slaves so the point with that is obviously she's back in bondage so it's supposed to make it's slightly more uh, poignant and bitter. But there has never been a more redundant character than Miss Sande. Let's be perfectly honest. Like, no one here can claim that she was an MVP at any point. So I wasn't really surprised to see her go at all. And actually, I'm astonished she made it as long as she did. Well, um, well, look, the main problem for me with that death was um, she was captured off screen. Um, Yeah. A few things happened off screen. A A few. um, What I would presume, even even as a newbie are crucial things. I found it really weird that she she was essentially captured so easily. I mean, how was she captured? Just suddenly she's there with Cersei and I was like, hang on. I mean, there were, um, you know, with John's parentage being the other one, which felt like a fucking massive thing just to have happen off screen. And I'm not sure what that's being held for, if anything, but her suddenly being captured, obviously the, any use of that in terms of tension, putting, seeing her being put back in chains, if what you're saying mm. is correct in terms of putting her back in, in um, as a slave, kind of. I, I don't know. There was something weird about it, just the ch- choice, the narrative choice to not show that obviously she was then going to die at the end that was very clear what did it when she said so what she said was Dracaris which means fire dragon fire so what is that a call to yeah she was hoping that that maybe Daenerys would gather the last living dragon to somehow swoop in and presumably breathe fire on the I don't know if she was looking for a rescue I think it was her way of saying kill this bring bitch the, yeah, well, bring yeah, the fire yeah, sure. that's but, what yeah, I thought yeah. Yeah. but I, I can I, look, I I think the decision to not show her capture was what was 
to give us a reveal of her being captured. You know yeah, I, mean? I think that was a powerful moment. And because, it was when you saw her in the chain. Yeah, yeah. so I, I felt that. You missed I, I, a whole a load of action surprise. because it was weirdly yeah. light on action. It, even the it bit because it was you, they set this up, you know, and suddenly. Um, you know, that dragon dies. Um, Rhaegal? It's not that dragon. I thought he those things were ba- meant to be fucking basically invincible. And that, like, the last yeah, but they did build season, that extra special weapon. Yeah, so that's a nice thing. But in this season, there's two dead in quite kind of like easy way. They don't seem that powerful to me. They seem slightly redundant. And then, so the, the moments where you expected there to be more action, it was like didn't happen or was over relatively quick. They walk up to the gate. Um, Tyrion, you know, puts his head over the parapet kind of literally and she could have taken all of them out presumably just there and then and chose not to yeah. I was confused about I, the lack of action I, I had like she st- she stands outside the gates of King's Landing with the least impressive host in the world within I might add ballista shot of Cersei yeah. and I'm astonished she didn't just shoot her dead there and then uh, that seemed like a slightly odd thing to do yeah it was that was a that was a kind of Austin Powers I'm not going to kill you now even though I can moment because I want to have a nice little chat Absolutely. at least Tyrion wants to have a nice little chat Absolutely. and then we want to I, I I still, I, I absolutely defend not showing her capture thing. I think that was fine. I also, yeah. I think the the lack of action thing also because I think that set up next week presumably is going to be the, a massive, huge battle. Lot, hundreds of thousands of people being killed. You know, they're allowed to integrate a little bit. It doesn't oh, yeah, have to be. Think, this is the talking <laughs> sure. episode, and this is the action yeah. episode, and never but the I twain the, shall meet. But I, I liked how that you had the slow build up of the opening act of the, the everyone kind of recovering from last week yeah, and, and the, the funeral party, which is good the funeral, yeah the funeral was great all of that was nice in a kind of like slightly Avengers Endgame-esque yeah. opening act where yeah. dealing with grief and loss and all of that I thought that was good Brienne we must talk about um, Brienne and Jamie we will we will all of that and then so I, I and then the sudden arrival of action i.e. the killing of the dragon and it is shocking and it was yeah. shocking it comes out of so, nowhere it came out of nowhere it's exactly that's my point so I feel like it was calm 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 no action sudden action, killing of dragon, excitement. Well, this is, but hang on, I, I, it hang worked on. for me. I have to say it worked but for hang me. Hang on, right? So kills the dragon, which she refers to as her child, right? It's yeah. meant yeah. to be her child. Yeah. Then kills her closest friend. Yeah. And she just face acts her way through it. Like she like there was some I think there were real holes shown in holes. The, holes in the car in um where they are going with um uh I can never say it. Daenerys's character, right? Because yep. I think mm-hmm. her characterization was all over the map during the kind of singing and dance when she made um uh what's his name or what's its face. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> she made Gendry the Lord she of Storm's made, End, yes. Gendry yeah. and, and she was yeah. kind of trying to show that she could be generous as well I think and then when she's essentially begging and pleading with John not to reveal who he is so that she gets to keep the and becomes a cold bitch again and she was and then and then she'd been weeping over the dead and then she cries over her baby but then she like I felt like her yeah. character arc is so muddled oh well I think she's verging on madness that's well, the thing this I, is a descent into yeah. madness that we're watching is it madness or is it, is it just her being I think a it, shit the madness as in Someone whose entire driving force has been on the side of the people yeah. and of doing what's right for the people. Hence, all the discussions between Varys and Tyrion yes. this episode. Can were, I say, those two need their own sitcom. Yeah. I love them. Right. I, I, I saw people complaining that. about their oh, chats. I love their chats. And for it. me, what those chats are are, exactly, are a running commentary on what you're saying, on the state of mind particularly of Daenerys. And I felt that was what was great about it. It was like, yeah, she is doing stuff that's completely one minute. She's doing this, next week she's doing mm. that. She doesn't know which way to turn. It 
remember, she would have gone in all guns blazing if it hadn't been the fact that Varys literally told her not to do stuff that's going to result in the killing of tens of thousands but of people. Not, so she has to be that. told that. Yeah, but she had to be told that. She's kind of... So what happened in the end was kind of like some way of resolving the t- her two ways of doing this, this stuff. And I feel what's happening to her is she's being reduced to the same level as Cersei. And I, uh, I, I'm assuming that what's yeah. going to happen is by the end of the next episode, she will be either directly or indirectly responsible for as much slaughter as Cersei. Well, and she's, but they've tabled that, right? She said, yeah. I want them to know essentially when they die whose fault it is, right. not mine. But it is going to be but hers. It, but she's, <laughs> but I, what I don't kind of, you don't sense at the heart of it there is a, a truth about who she is and what she wants. She's so wildly vacillating between, as you say, fuck the people, <laughs> they, they can, I, I find it as a newbie hard to believe she ever kind of was a soft queen who had her people's best, best interests at heart because all she seems to do is want to take the throne and have everyone bend the knee and fuck everybody. But she's I think that's like always soft been, one yeah. minute. She's like severe the next. She's like, she. everybody, you know, she loves these being murdered in front of her and she just kind of huffs and puffs and um, widens her eyes a bit. Like, I'd, I don't know if it's some of the writing isn't quite there. It feels there's something not hugely working for me. I don't need a character to be consistent mm. but I need to believe that even if they act in contradictory ways there's a truth at the heart of it. I know it. what you mean. I think that's she's always she's always been like that with her. I think I think I the, don't know that's true. Oh okay. Like <laughs> I feel that the difficulty they're having with this and I'm absolutely with Terry on this. I feel that they're they're trying to do a handbrake turn with that character. I feel that we've been with Daenerys since she was a teenager. We've mm. watched her sort of come up from this sort of like, you know, scared girl essentially to become this sort of conquering dragon queen. And she has and you're absolutely right, there have been moments where she she's always had a, a, some hard edges, yeah, and she's always she's been always prepared. Had she's always had steel in her, yeah. but yeah. you've always sensed that she was driven by a morality. Like she yeah. stays in marine to learn to sure. be a queen, to learn to look after her people. And I feel that they are trying to prepare us for something. Like I think you're right. I think she is on the cusp of verging into villainhood. Oh, definitely. Well, at least she's on the what she's on the cusp of is that old classic. The whole show is about this, isn't it? The whole show is yeah. about the morality of power and how far you go and if you think she thinks she all me all means are valid to the end of her gaining power because she feels she's a good guy mm. and in the end she's going to make sure that everything's better for these people right in Westeros unlike Cersei so that's and for me what's going to happen is and this is always this has happened all the way through there have been moments where she has done stuff that's led to this, a needless killing of loads of people because mm. she felt the means justified the ends and, it, and what's and the big question is do they really and, if, and do they and is she really all that different from Cersei who Cersei is doing tactical stuff like what she did the the, the killing she did the execution effectively at the end of this episode was her using her ruthlessness to show tactically that she's she's superior to them and then I think what will happen to um, what will happen is that that I've got a name. Daenerys yes. will be shown that she's equally ruthless and does stuff if she needs to, to, to get the end she wants. But she justifies it because she thinks she's inherently more moral than Cersei. But that's the big question of the whole show. Yeah. Is. And, I, and I think we're leading up to someone ga- someone gaining power who is in the end as amoral as I Cersei. Don't think, I don't think... I don't sense any fight for her soul. I don't sense any any of those profound things you're saying. I can see her flip-flopping between the two positions. Yeah. It feels 
empty to me. There's yeah, something about it. I'm not kind of, you know, if what you're describing is true, that's really compelling. And that kind of, okay, right, Phoebe, season four of Charmed, um, she <laughs> is pregnant with Cole's child and she is genuinely torn between knowing that sometimes you have to do bad things for the greater good, but as long as the greater good is There is a real reckoning for her soul and her morality. I just feel like she's kind of one minute, she's loses her temper, the next minute she's sweet, the next minute. I don't sense profound, and maybe it's the actor, maybe it's the right. I don't know what it is, and I'm coming at it so mm. late. And you day. scoffed last week when I said she had a fucking face on. Yeah, don't you don't <laughs> set. I mean, you know, probably what's going to happen is fucking what happens in life in that you've got all these amazing, powerful women who all deserve it in one way or another, and you've got fucking Jon Snow bumbling around yeah. in the background, yeah. probably going to bumble his way onto the throne. As Varys says, Varys Cox are important. To, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is a great show. I, I totally, I think you're absolutely, I think, the, I think the portrayal is flawed. I, I agree with that completely. Yeah, it's clumsy. But I yeah. do think. Yes, and that's what it is. Sure. Clumsy. I think you're right. But what I do think is that next. There's no intent. I think next week it'll become clearer. That's yeah. my feeling. I, I feel That's that the... they've they've the arc is not smooth. Like yes. they they spent far too long doing one type of Danny, and now we're being faced yep. with a different type of. And Danny. I don't mind nuance, complex. Like I mm. I find that stuff fascinating, but her arc doesn't feel genuine or real, and you don't feel invested in in her. You know, mm. taking one path mm, over yeah. another seriously. Um, I mean, people are saying. I've, you know, I was looking at a few um, internet kind of blogs, apart from Ava DuVernay's tweet. Like yeah. more in depth, people are saying. A lot of people are saying that this show run by these two blokes can't isn't doing women that well. So there's a there's a clear mm. kind of as we've said in recent weeks, there's a clear kind of feminist message going on. And in that discussion um, with with Varys last night, that, that was made explicitly clear. Yeah. But you know, is there is there writing? You know, Brienne, for example. When we go we'll get to that, you know, it, it, would she really have reacted to Jamie running off in that? sobbing moment you know is that is that the Brienne we've going to love and the strong you know dignified person we've loved over the, all these seasons all, you know, I'm just putting I it out there so, some people yeah, I just think that was a moment what, of character on the I, do, I, I do I, I don't have a problem with either but a lot of people do so a lot of people are saying they have issues with writing women I don't I think that's slightly unfair considering I think Arya is a brilliant character and what Arya did in this episode was great well, yeah. turning down Gendry for the, yeah. for the that was brilliant so but I do feel that Daenerys depiction is flawed mm. I think that's well true. it should we talk about um, the because the one piece of dialogue that has really kind of upset people yes. was the Sansa. Yeah. Bit, yes. Right? Well, this this show has a long-standing format, specifically with regards to female characters, which is to take young, innocent, ingenue type characters and forge them through hardship, Super torture, fire, and tournament yeah. into kind of flinty, steely weapons yeah. of war. And I mean, it's done that with all its characters, but the women have borne the brunt of this. Sansa, in particular, and I guess yeah, in that point, she's she's essentially it's the line, isn't it, to to the hound where she's I would have stayed a little bird all my life. Yeah, she said, without Ramsay, Littlefinger and the rest, I would have stayed a bird all my life. Now, everybody, there's been quite a lot of upset about this online. Um, a lot of women and men saying that without her being raped, she wouldn't be the warrior and the mm. queen, potentially, that she is today. I kind of... I. I can see it both ways because there's one thing saying um, she, you know, she because they died. She, she did. She kill them. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so not little. Well, actually, yeah, she did. That enabled her to reclaim her power, but that's not what she said. What she says, she without that incident, without being raped, mm. she would. I. But I think, and people have said, you know, 
it's bad. There is often a narrative around rape, right? That actually it it changes you in ways and makes you the person you want to. I I can see it from both sides, which I think I can see how that would be offensive to some people. But I also think there's a reality, and if you go through something of that level of trauma, that it absolutely enables you to find a power or a fire, or it, it helps you become the person you are. So I th- I felt like it was one of those lines where, and I. Don't don't mean this to be offensive, but I think sometimes when there's any writing around sexual violence, it's very easy to kind of, um, especially when it's written by men who maybe mm. haven't had an experience of it, there is often a kind of a default outrage, which is, you know, that this is in some way kind of glorifying or, or kind of trying to put rape through an empowering kind of filter or something like that. Yeah, I thought from what I know of her character so far, you can see why that will have been awful and traumatic and obviously not something she'd have ever wanted to happen, but she will have used that as part of her becoming the woman she is who mm. is very strong and very powerful and very sure of herself so I didn't feel that same level of upset mm. that I saw yeah, a lot I of agree I know felt. I agree and I also thought it was I thought what well, I thought it was I thought it was believable and authentic because I think it was her you know kind of trying to comprehend her own story and yeah. her trying to you know kind of look at you know, sum up in, 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 you know, how, how has, how has she arrived at this point? And I feel like, so she's saying it almost partly to herself and partly she's explaining what, what she's gone through. And that doesn't mean, you know, and it, I think it's, you know, I think she's, what she's doing makes sense, yeah. you know, in, within her story. So I don't think, I think to reduce it to kind of glib, oh, mm. she's saying rape made, made me this what I am now, I think is slightly unfair because I think it made sense within her explaining to herself her own arc, if you like. I don't think it's also, I don't think it's just about the rape. Like she, she's mentioned before that all the men in her lives yeah. have been monsters and it's not, I mean, she was raped obviously by Ramsey, but yeah. she was tortured and psychologically abused by Joffrey. She watched yeah. her father beheaded. She was sold by Littlefinger. Uh, yeah. been, she's been through so much. I, I think that one incident while the most horrific for us as viewers was just one of the many indignities yeah, that because character's she did, had yeah. to live through. She explicitly through. Rem- reminded us of Joffrey, didn't she? Yeah, That's absolutely. As well. yeah. So she's that, been through more than th- almost any other character. Yeah. Uh, and I think all of those things combined, like, and you can see how different she is now. Yeah. Uh, and she is quite formidable. Um, Completely. Yeah. And then, yeah, so should we talk about Brienne? Yeah. That was the other... Yeah. Everybody was kind I of... I loved that moment when she... when she Because the thing is, you feel that Brienne wears not just a literal, but a very metaphorical suit of armour at all times. She's yeah. very vulnerable beneath it. And this is kind of the first time we've seen her crack that armour to let Jamie in. And then to suddenly have him kind of betray her, I think the wound was very real. Yeah, though. so I, I like the fact they slept together when um, when he goes, I've never slept with a night before. <laughs> I just thought that was lovely. And the kind of, you know, it was a little bit, the physical, when they saw kissing, it was like a little bit awkward, which yeah. I liked yeah. because that's what it's like. Um uh, and then when I suppose I didn't mind that she cried because, you know, she'd never had sex before and she's obviously been in love with Jamie mm. for years and that was really something special. It's a lot to deal with. What I was confused about was why he just decided to leave so quickly. Yeah. And- it was also unclear almost what the 
catalyst was and why he was doing this. It yeah. seemed to be like Santa said, well, like, your sister's going to die now as if she wasn't going to, to originally. Anyway. And is he going to kill her? Is he going to fuck her? Is he yeah. going to save her? I'm I, unclear. Right. I, I think that's a good question, but I, th- I felt like he, he just, his two options were stay and have a lovely time with Brienne, yeah. who's just, you know, consummated Which that Which was long... the plan when he was like, we're right. so happy of for course. you. But I think it's, it was absolutely brilliant because for me, it's like all about, he again, he can't just change his character yeah. and his entire history in this one moment having this lovely time with Brienne. He is who he is. And that line he said, she's hateful and so am I, was I thought a brilliant bit of writing because mm. it was like, I don't even know why I'm hateful. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I just have to be there at this moment when Cersei's about to launch fucking hell on earth and I don't even, and who knows what he's going to do, but he cannot possibly, it made total sense to me, he cannot possibly have a lovely old time with Brienne and change, you know, seven, eight years of being a fucking twat, you know, in so many ways. And he, he reminded us, I threw the kid off the balcony, you know, I'm... I don't think it was, again, it's it was a years. quick flip, because I was... That's... Yeah, but this was made more, this is like he's been diverted into niceness for a little while by Brienne. Yeah. And falling in love with her, but he is who he is, and his core being is this unbelievably problematic. Not we as bad as we haven't seen that. We are, I so as oh, a well, newbie, we, have... we haven't seen that in this season. Right, but he did mention it explicitly. Yeah, so when think, he said, yeah. "I'm," yeah. What did he, what he, did he, he listed the bad things yeah. he'd done. <laughs> you know, I threw she's the little boy. She's hateful, and so am yeah, I. Or... But she's hateful, and so am I. Summed it up, and I feel it totally makes sense for him to have to go back and sort out that this kind of this evil, nasty, despicable, toxic relationship that's at the uh, yes. heart of him. But the, do you see it as to James's point what is he going back for I don't know if even he knows right now he's going he's going back to be there when whatever happens happens to his sister with whom he has been absolutely you know they they are one in the same person. Mm. They're two sides of the same thing. You know, he can't not be there. It's I honestly, I think it's slightly almost reductive to talk about him being good and being villainous. I think he and also Cersei are both morally very complex characters. She is not a hundred percent villain. Like no. there's a lot to understand she's and empathise about. Cersei. <laughs> no, but you say that. <laughs> I know, like I know. she's portrayed a little bit like that in the books, and then I think it's in a Feast for Crows. You start to, for the very first time, see chapters from her perspective. Sure. And when she's imprisoned by the High Septum, you actually oh, start. Yeah. To yeah, understand what yeah. forged her into what she became, and yeah. she's very much her father's daughter. Oh, I was massively that, on her side that whole season. She's not evil, yeah. but yeah. she's very focused and she's slightly <laughs> yeah, amoral. I love that. Quote. I'm going to quote that. Cersei's not evil. She's just yeah. very focused. Yeah, she brilliant. knows what she wants, and she she's, lives. James, she's really fucking well, focused. Bear in mind, <laughs> she was sold to Robert Baratheon, who I didn't know. like her and loved someone else. Yeah. You know, she was beaten, slapped around by him. I mean, you know, she's had a pretty what difficult she, life. What she did to to, to, to uh, Miss Andy in this episode. That that's pretty underlines, I think, her her, her focus. But there's a pragmatism of to course. what she does. Do you know course. what I mean? That, I there's agree. certainly there's certainly. Yeah. I mean, oh, she... that's, that's the genius of the show. Is yeah. that it's not Lord of the Rings, you know? Is it? Well, you know, Lord, it's not binary. It's often compared no. to Lord, Lord. For me, always the problem of Lord of the Rings, and the reason, that, and I always feel this like when people yeah. compare it is from the books of Lord of the Rings through to all the films. It's dualistic. so it's dualistic. Very binary. People are good and evil, mm. and they're turned into good and evil by a fucking ring. <laughs> and you know, whereas this show is is the opposite. It's the anti Lord yeah. of the Rings. Yeah. People. Everyone is good. And everyone evil. is good, mm. and everyone's evil, and that's that's the brilliance of it. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you entirely. Uh, do you know? Do you know who is evil though? Hey, John Snow. Fucking abandoning Ghost is one of the most reprehensible things yeah. that has happened in this entire run. And I am. Can we just have a moment? Ghost who lost an ear. Yeah. In the there was a lovely shot of Ghost with it, with little bits of blood, wasn't there, on his yeah. lovely on his lovely snowy fur, and it, it, almost like Ghost was. <laughs> I don't know whether it's CGI or not. A little acting like moment of like, oh, like, you you're swat, you bastard, you're is, abandoning John me. Snow, and this one of the reasons I massively dislike him. He's been ignoring Ghost now for two seasons pretty yeah. much and now he's just cast him off totally I mean what is up with that ruthless <sighs> well and can I say the best line of the episode was um, uh, Tom on when he, cut, he said to, he said John weighs as much as two fleas fucking I know it's great it's like <laughs> exceptional I miss Tormund yeah. already I'm so sad that he's gone I'm very pleased that Sam and Gilly have fucked off but uh, not, not no disrespect yeah. to either of them but I felt like there were too many characters and, and having to give screen service to all of them was becoming a bit problematic and I think Sam and Gilly, like Miss Sandy, are a little bit expendable at this point. Mm. So I think and they've got a lovely baby on the way. Yeah, and I'm glad they haven't weren't killed off. I'm glad they've just you know walked yeah. off in the sunset. But I think it's good to, to yeah, sort of clean up the cast list a little bit. I am sorry to see Tormund Giants Bane go again. Redundant at Brilliant this point. Character. I yeah. love Tormund. Yeah. Uh, so sorry to see him go. But you know, we had a few other moments. You mentioned the Gendry and Arya moment. I really like that because it showed that he doesn't know who she is at mm. all. Yeah, like, the no. second he proposed to her, you were just like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't funny, know this yeah. girl at all. It was sad and funny and, yeah, inevitable. Yeah, yeah. And right, that's the you? mirror of what she says to her father in the first season when he's like, oh, you know, you'll get married, you'll become a lady. And she's like, that's not me. It's never been me. Yeah. Because she's never seen herself that way. Uh, so I thought that was nice. And I like that she's reunited with the Hound because they were like they were sort of some of my favourite uh, episodes yeah, when those hound... two were wandering the countryside. They make a really good parent. They do. And the Hound is just brilliant. The Hound it. doesn't change. The Hound doesn't bend to yeah. any yeah. fucking... But he calls Gendry a twat yeah, in the middle of the twat. day. He's so good. That was brilliant. Brilliant usage, yeah, especially from the American writers, you know, mm-hmm. using that Anglo-Saxon term. Mm. Absolutely love it. Oh. We must talk about the uh, the Starbucks cup. Yes, Don't the Starbucks. This is genius. Do you think they did this on purpose? Well, the people are saying they did. They can't have done. They can't have done. But I don't know how the amount of eyes on this in the edit. Yeah. I don't for the life of me understand how you miss a craft services intentional. Why craft services? Someone's gone out and got it. Why would they? Why would you leave it on there on purpose? Maybe it's a gag. I have no No. idea. But literally, so so for anyone who didn't notice it, this is during the feast when Daenerys is sitting there with her face on. uh, When Jon's chatting to the wildlings, there is a Starbucks. What I think is most probably a non-fat triple whip wet Mm. latte, extra hot, uh, sitting in front of her. Mm. What I really, really would have liked it as a perfect sight gag would have made it brilliant if on in Sharpie on the side of it it had said Daenerys Stormborn <laughs> yeah. first of her name Mother of Dragons yeah, yeah, Breaker yeah. of Chains yeah. that would have been amazing you know what adds to the whole thing is you know there's that you've seen the shot of um, the showrunners Benioff and Vice in uh, in the background so they're in that scene oh are they yeah they have little cameos in that scene as heavily you know kind of wearing classic clothing yeah. so you can't really tell who they are but they were in, literally in that scene being filmed and even they and I think maybe they were distracted by actually being in yeah, it maybe. doing their little cameos to notice the fucking cup on the th- on the thing, I think pe- people. Have, I love the conspiracy theory that that people are saying. Oh, you know, Starbucks have given them paid for. You know, last yeah, week's as battle as if. First of all, it's not even clear that it's a Starbucks cup. It could be. You know, it could be Cafe, Cafe Nero it or whatever. Starbucks. It looks Starbucks, but you can't hundred percent tell. B. These things happen. I mean, these things happen. I've been on sets where you know people are drinking coffee right up until the last second. Well, you've, where you they just say turn. Know that, that you go. I, they you do have it because it's amazing. They look but at it every happens. single phrase. I know, but 
I mean, and they could have digitally removed it had they wanted to. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But the, uh, mistakes still happen in film. It's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's hysterically funny. And, and you know, HBO put up a night, put out a nice, did you see their statement? Yeah. They said, yeah, she, they said she wanted a mint tea or herbal tea or something. So they got the wrong one, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, it's brilliant. It has the, but I think I the conspiracy it. theories are fucking preposterous. Sorry. Um, can we talk about Jon Snow briefly? So, yes. bumbling, bumbling. Jon Snow. <laughs> He's a fucking idiot. Yeah, um, always has been. He, he kind of always has been. He's got that same character flaw that his not father, his uncle had, Ned Stark had, where he's he's incredibly binary and finds it impossible to deviate from like established patterns of behaviour. Mm. Um, but he he really does bumble from one thing to the next, making one catastrophic decision after yeah. another. I'm going to tell you this secret, yeah. and you must promise, and then Sun's yeah. like, yeah, fuck yeah. that. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, by the way, to your point, I thought it was interesting what you made about we didn't see him. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's just because of repetition. We've I think we've already already. seen it twice. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, Sansa, how she reacts to that. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I needed to see but that. You saw it on the battlements. I yeah. think you saw the but, kind of echoes of it there. But I think, I think yeah, we've heard that yeah I think it was totally already, we didn't want it again yeah it. I think it had to be yeah. um, uh, but I thought it was, it was interesting sh- because the, when he spoke when they were all kind of you know feasting and um, and you see that look on Daenerys's face and, and you know face she on. talks to it she talks to it later but <laughs> yeah. that sense that you know he is a bumbling idiot and he hasn't done anything to warrant being their king really but they, they are all he's got um, magnetism and he's got kind of He's charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, yeah, and he can, he delivers yeah. fantastic. He's, he's a, a populist great, leader. He's a great orator. In his he's defense, Tony Blair. He did he die Blair. for them and was resurrected. So I well, know. She, you see him, you see her clock that, like, he is a natural to them. Mm. Yeah. And oh, there completely. Is sense 100%. That yeah. people gravitate towards more towards men as natural yes. leaders. Yes. And she's ruled um, a lot by fear to try and kind of yeah. capture them in the same way, but, mm. you know, and then makes, you feel like making Gendry. Um, whatever she makes him yeah. it's part of her trying yeah. to be more charming but she kind She's of frosty, doesn't get it right and I think she doesn't in, she doesn't inspire love in people no. for her personality no uh, whereas he is very much a bumbling man of the people yeah, yeah. but then making that clear was I love that and yeah. again back to the um, back to the Varys Tyrion discussions about him all of that stuff about would yeah. they rule together maybe yeah. and you know yes he is a doofus you know but <laughs> you know maybe it's better to have a doofus who doesn't want to be ruler as the ruler yeah. all of that was literally like blogging blogging about but, the whole fucking He makes battle. a very valid point that John, uh, John not wanting to rule might make him more suited because her sense of, of entitlement is right. yeah. off the yeah. chain. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, without a thought. And she's like, I'm, I'm here to depose tyrants. You're like, well, that was a quite yeah. conky line. It's like... Mm. Even you? when they were talking and she ends up like... Begging him not to, not to kind of tell anybody so that she dropping at him. Like, yeah. yeah, and she, she, without any real dignity, without any <laughs> no kind dignity of, you know, at all. I've uh, already told you yeah. how, and she yeah. storms off. I'm like, well, don't yeah, absolutely. Argument for me now. This raises the bigger for me the big big picture now because there's only two more episodes to go, right? And, and they're clearly they're setting up the, the what's going to happen and all these discussions of Aristyria running commentary yeah. about who's going to end up as the ruler. For me, it's, the big question is: Can can this whole show end in any in a, in a way that satisfies 
the majority of fans that doesn't feel like it's pandering, that kind of feels like it's going to reflect the gen- the big overarching themes of the show, which is basically like the universe is random and mad and things, no one ends up getting stuff that they deserve anyway. And people are ruthless and do anything for a bit of power. All of that stuff. Can it really end up? It's a really huge task, isn't it? To, yeah. to really, to like more than almost strings. any, I'm thinking like mm. more than, you know, all the classic TV shows, Mad Men and the Sopranos, all these shows we talk about the, I just, for me, it's like, how can they possibly resolve this? In a satisfactory way, it's really hard. Because yeah. if it's just Jon Snow, for example, people are going, "Really? That's that's it? It's just going to be Jon Snow end up ruling?" And I don't know. It's like I, I just feel it's hard. I can't. I'm trying to work out in my head which which resolution is the one that pleases most people and will work out satisfactory. Yeah, I, 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 I can't. can't yeah, for me, it's going to be like said. someone like Gendry, like probably would work. Some someone not one of the you know a kind of side player yeah. who ends up being in charge who kind of doesn't want it, as in that was being set up by Varys would kind. Of work I think me. we can all agree it's going to be Bronn of the Blackwater. <laughs> that was a weird scene, incidentally. Him coming back and then essentially saying he was fucking off. Like, I'm not going to kill you. Give me High Garden. I'm going to go. I'm not fighting anymore. See ya. I'll be back at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Was like, yeah. I, I miss him. Like, Bronn is one of the funniest characters. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, it's great. a shame that he's disappeared off. But yeah. hey ho. Uh, so finally, before we finish, what do we think of the final scene? I mean, we, we've touched on it. This was the uh, the sort of the face off over the wall. Well, I think um, I thought it's interesting, again, just on the gender thing with Tyrion kind of as a last resort pleading, trying to plead to Cersei's maternal side. Um, where he goes, you know, you don't have to essentially sign the death warrant for your own child. Um, And her face just hardens Mm. um, and she kind of is really hard about that and chops what's-the-face's head off. This feels like an episode about characters not knowing other characters. Like it felt like like Gendry didn't know Arya, Jon didn't know Sansa, Danny should have known John better. And also a bit Um, not knowing what to do either. No, I think the only explanation is you're right about, you know, she could have there and then killed killed Cersei yeah. if she wanted to. I think it's just not knowing what to do. But Cersei now. could have killed her more. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. everyone's kind of. I, I. I. It worked for me that final scene because I thought everyone. There's this big confrontation, but no one really knows what to do. Everyone's. It was kind of like everyone's caught in the moment, and and and, and in the end, you know. What Cersei did made sense because that's very much her. Yeah. Um, by the way, there's another reason, of course, why Jamie has to go back to see Cersei because it's it's his baby, isn't it? Also She's pregnant with his baby. So that's true. a key fact. I just mm. struck me because, of course, she told Doofus that it's his baby. It's clearly not. Euron. Um, uh, Euron. Euron. Yeah. So that's the key, that's the key reason, isn't it? Any, but anyway, so that's in the back, boiling along, bubbling along in the background. The fact that she's pregnant. So I, I thought that scene was was kind of great. Uh, it really worked for me. And you know, I know there are, it barely, just about barely made sense, but yeah. it's still dramatically. I thought it was kind of it was great. I, and, and one more thing about her being killed off in that way. She could have been killed off last week in battle, right? Mm-hmm. She could just be another one of those supporting characters who ends up dying. This gave her a showcase death. Yeah. So I yeah. actually think that argument that better you know, that than dying. Better that you know she was given one of the great. You know, protect one of the great Game of Thrones deaths she was given, which for as you say, for a character wasn't that particularly three dimensional or important anyway. It was pretty good, as yeah. I say. I, Tyrion in that scene, I think, disappointed me a little bit. Like he was smart enough to know that, like he said every wrong thing to Cersei there. Like it was never going to work. Like because she has a thing about showing weakness, yeah, and yeah. to bring up her children, yeah. one of which she blames. Well, I mean, she blames him for the death of two of them, in fact. Yeah, and it's just like no. Isn't there an issue here that Tyrion? Someone said this. I was reading in one of the 
recap blog recap saying you know Tyrion is 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 a genius blah 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 and why would he matter? I don't think he is. I don't think he's nearly <laughs> as clever as he thinks he is. He thinks he's a genius. Yeah. But I think one for me all the way through. I love him. He's funny and brilliant and you know he's, he's an alcoholic. Varys brilliantly says to him, "You are drinking a lot, yeah. right?" But he's not as much of a genius as he as, he, as, he, as everyone says. In him. the latter seasons, it doesn't come across. He comes across as much much smarter in the books, but we get a lot more of his in the okay. monologue there. But I think Varys is smarter though, isn't he? Oh, but Varys is very like Varys is the master manipulator. Even yeah. Littlefinger actually were yeah. the two geniuses. Right. Like Littlefinger, Absolutely. in many ways, was a, was the ultimate schemer, yeah. Yeah. more so than Varys. Though it does come undone in the end. Yeah. So in there, I think a fatal a fatal misstep. Yes. Well, and he just made he just guaranteed that she then had to do something brutal hmm. for her because you know yeah, he completely. was asking her to show weakness by considering her unborn child. Right. And all he did was then basically, well, <laughs> then she had to go and do something really yeah. horrific to prove Although that tactically, she be that moved. it was an odd thing to do. Like surely keeping her as a hostage would have been more valuable than lopping yeah. her head off for no particular reason. Well, just to it, prove she was still, yeah, you know, she was unchanged, yes, right? Exactly, Her brutality yeah. was unchanged. And there was a certain amount of tension as to whether she might just kill, could have killed him. You know, I mean, that was... Yeah, that why was, didn't like, she was, just kill him? I mean, you know, he's a brother, you know. No, still, I don't think it was... I, don't think, I mean, you know, I don't know. It was a show of power. She was showing that she could yeah. and then not doing it. Because yeah. ultimately, there's a point of escalation, isn't it? Like, yeah. ultimately, they do have a dragon. Yeah. Or notice the ballistae that were on the battlements were not the special dragon killer ballistas. Were they? Uh, no, the, oh, the okay. ballistas had their, like, four pointed ones with two strings oh. that ultra strong whereas I'm these glad are just you're normal here. ballistas I'm so glad so you're here I'm, I'm just, just a dragon because I, I actually thought they you. were oh, okay. no they're not right, the ones because when you see Euron using one on the ship they're the special oh, yeah, that was dragon killy ones yeah, yeah, yeah. that seems to happen that ambush by the way seems to happen just outside Dragonstone which is where they wash up yeah uh yeah. And she is clearly the worst aerial recon unit available. <laughs> she didn't see another fleet creeping up on them. But never mind. I know. Never mind. Yeah. Really could you enjoying her but it was worth flight. it. It was worth it for the for the timing of it. It was. Right. Well, that was episode four of the final season of Game of Thrones, which means we have two left. Just two Scary, left. Isn't it? Oh, the end draws near. And I think next week, as you say, is going to be it's it's a very uh, it seems to be a time honored Game of Thrones tradition. It's the penultimate episode where they yeah. where they blow the budget. <laughs> so I suspect the battle for King's Landing will kick off with a vengeance next week. And it's directed by that dude who does all the battle episodes. Battleman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Battle Captain Man. Battleman. <laughs> right. And that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, maybe you could head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We would very much like that. Uh, Join us next week to hear Terry banging on endlessly about Shane Meadows' The Virtues, uh, which we are all looking forward to immensely. Uh, And, and, fellas, fellas, before that... There will be, as we've mentioned, a Line of Duty Series 5 spoiler special podcast, which will be coming your way as well, pretty imminently, uh, possibly in a few hours after this one goes live, which, in the wake of Sunday's Line of Duty finale, should be very, very exciting. It didn't float up the lagon on a bubble. Pilot out. <laughs>